and welcome to another episode of the Pioneer Podcast. I'm Tanning Grace. As always, I'm joined by Ross Merriam. Ross, how's it going? Um, it's going, I guess. It's been a really, let's say, unique couple of weeks. Uh, 100% agree with you. Um, for people listening, if you were wondering what happened last week, we didn't have a show. More on that in a second. Um, sorry, but we felt you know it wasn't necessary for us to have a show last week and not prudent. And I'll be honest with you, Ross, I'm... I kind of don't want to do the show this week. I'm going to give it my all, but like, I'm still just like angry and don't want to talk about magic that much. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I get that. My, my biggest thing is, and it's really, it's strange for me. And because, you know, of my job and the streaming now that like, it's not that I don't want to, like I would love to, but um, you know, my mind is just elsewhere than magic for the last, you know, week and a half, two weeks. And, you know, I'm, I'm not to say that I'm, you know, completely ignoring everything, you know, I'm still checking out preview cards every day and brewing decks for verses, but it's just not with the same level of focus that I otherwise would have. See, this is why you do what you do on the show and I do what I do. <laughs> I'm kind of like just the blunt force sometimes to just say stuff and then you just put it more eloquently with bigger words and flowery yeah, language well, and make it better. Every edition is a talent of mine, Tannen. Yeah. So you kind of put it a lot better than I did. Saying that I didn't want to do the show, I think, is, is the wrong yeah. wrong way to put I would, it. I would love to do the show. That would be great. That would mean our yeah. world was in a much better place than it actually is. Yeah, it's 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 a nice distraction, right? Like it's it's nice to get back to some normal normalities, you know, some things that are fun. You know, you mentioned it's it's your job, right? You know, you get paid to talk about magic, you get paid to write about magic. I do not. And we're in the middle of preview season. We had a big band announcement last week. Like this is actually this would normally be a really prime time for magic content. Right. Right? Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah. But it's just being, you know, laughably overshadowed by much more important issues and you know, last week, our focus was obviously, you know, there and we felt, you know, it was prudent for other people's focus to be there as much as possible as well. So, uh, you know, this week we're back. We're going to keep doing the show per normal. Uh, you know, uh, I know in, in a lot of major cities, things haven't really slowed down. In fact, in a lot of them, they're picking up. But, um, you know, I think at this point, everybody's pretty well aware of what's going on and where the, you know, the protests are heading um and you know hopefully they you know turn into some substantive change yeah um that's our hope right yep and that's i mean you know whatever you're doing whatever part you're doing you know hopefully you're being safe it is uh, quite dangerous out there right now but do whatever you think is necessary you know whatever you think is right and that's all i can say to people you know i've been doing what i think is right my you know my wife and i and stuff like that so Hopefully there is change. You know, hopefully we have better days ahead. And this could come at a better time, which I don't know if there's ever really a better time. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, is there a better time than yesterday? Is there a better time than the day before? Like, obviously it's... Yeah, now is always the best time for stuff like this to happen. So I'm never going to say, I'm never going to... Yeah, I, I corrected myself as I yeah. said it. Like, you, you get, I think you can get the sentiment I'm trying, I'm trying to do. It's like, we still have COVID-19 out there. You know, it's still... Yeah, there are some additional hazards that, you know, protesters are facing. That's a problem. Um... And the, I you know, I think nobody's going to be surprised when we see spikes in cases get blamed on these protests instead of being blamed on the premature, uh, you know, reopenings and, you know, a lot of people not taking it seriously. They're already doing it. Like you're seeing a lot of media 
yeah, posting pictures of protesters with, oh, the spike in it. I'm like, it has a gestational period. Like, you don't see the stuff. For, like, it's not possible that that's what that is yet. But anyway. But, you know, science has never really been uh, important to, you know, these kinds of headlines. So why would they uh, be now? So we're going to talk some magic, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, uh, have you done anything fun or different in the last couple of days or weeks? Um, you know, we're easing... Th- things back a little bit too like I, I went over to the the house with a couple of the SCG people you know what's the name of the house again the party house whatever or whatever they call the it. I'm not you know yeah it's there it's there but house. it's um it's it's I call it the Anderson house still because it'll always be the Anderson house to me well there's an Anderson there now too so <laughs> wrong kind of Anderson though um in in one sense right kind of Anderson and, and another uh but one over there, one, uh, you know, one afternoon into the evening, along with Harlan Fuhrer, who came in from Charlottesville. And we had, you know, a, sm- a very small gathering of like, you know, six or seven people. Um, you know, Rob, uh, I sort of think of myself as social distancing with Rob, who directs Versus Live. And, uh, you know, uh, so it was re- really just, you know, the people that live in that house, the people, you know, Corey and his fiance, and then me. And then I guess we added Harlan. So that was our, like, easing of the restriction. Uh, but still generally just trying to stay home as much as possible. You know, I, now when I go out, I just notice no one in a mask. Unless I'm, like, in the grocery store, I'll see people with them in there. But Or, like, I, I mean, I don't even know where else. I guess I had I had to mail a letter today. I saw one in the post office. Um, you know, the, the and it was the employee, obviously. The people walking, the other people walking, just no masks. And I'm just like, does everybody think this is just over? Yeah, one of my personal favorites with this is, uh, I think I talked to you about this. The grocery store that I go to, they put up the screens in front of the cashiers, yeah. right? But did I ever tell you that I had never seen an employee wear a mask? They they are now wearing masks. Like I went like last week, and now they're before that I, I never saw employees wearing masks. Jesus. So my wife and I, when we go in, I always uh, well only one of us goes. Like I, it's usually me that goes shopping. I bring my own bag in. You know, put all the stuff in there, uh, get it all, come home, and I do, like, the hazmat suit kind of, like, the doctor thing. You know, like, I don't touch anything on the way in. She opens the door for me. I bring all the stuff in, and we wipe down everything that we bring in. Like, just disinfect all of it. You know, I I leave the bag in the car, you know, like, all this stuff. And then I either go take a shower or clean myself off a little bit. You know what I mean? Just, you know... it sucks, don't get me wrong, but it's, like, worth it, right? You know, it's, it's not that hard to do it. It takes an extra 10 minutes, maybe, to do all this. You know, you know it's, what, not, it's not that bad. 10, 10 minutes once a week, right? I'm kind of jealous of your, your little barbecue party, by the way. I saw the pictures. You know, y'all graciously tagged me in one, gave me a little nice little roasting, if no one saw that on, on Twitter. But so it's kind of like I was there in spirit or whatever. But the food looked good. Uh, the company looks better. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of jealous, you know. I, I talked to my best friend the other day, and I was like, hey, we should try to hang out soon. And it's just like... I don't know. I, he has kids and stuff, so it's like kind of worried. Yeah, it's definitely you know, tougher for people with kids, or you know, an yeah, elderly relative they're taking care of is immunocompromised, or yeah, that's that's the main problem. That that's the main thing that comes up with us, right? Like my parents and her parents are higher risk than than average, yeah. and so we're trying to stay away from people as much. We are, however, um, we just booked a vacation for I think we leave on like the seventeenth or something like that. So we'll be able to do the episode next week, and then I'll be gone for a few days. We got a. Um, we rented a beach house and we're always going to go to the beach house and like, we're not going to go to restaurants or to like figure, you know, either get stuff to go or like make our own food and just chill on the beach, sit there, do whatever. Cause it has its own little beach and stuff. So should be a lot of fun. Hopefully it'd be nice to get away from stuff, you know, kind of try to 
clear my mind for a few days. It'd be nice, but yeah, definitely a, a needed catharsis at this point. This is, I, we, we said this on versus live today, actually, that this year it, it both feels absurd that it's already June. Uh, but it also feels like this year has been three years. Like I, I look back at everything that has happened and I'm like, that is so much stuff that has happened, but it feels like it all happened in the span of three weeks. If this world is still here by the time I, you know, my children grow up whenever, you know, cause we're going to start trying to have kids soon. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk to them about this year. We're going to be like, yeah, 2020 was a, a heck of a year. Yeah, it's, it's like our 1968. It was like the, you know, all of the social unrest of the sixties and that, you know, that started bubbling well before that, but came to a head in the sixties really uh, culminated in that year. It was the year of peak involvement in Vietnam. It was the year of the MLK assassination and the year of the RFK assassination. Um, and, you know, rioting after the, the democratic convention in the summer, you know, <laughs> so they're uh, yeah, this, they feel very similar, you know, not that I know what 1968 is like, but I guess I could talk to my parents about it. See, my my dad graduated high school. You you're like a. It's almost like you lived then the way, the way you are. You're like an old soul. It's almost like you're around I mean, at that time. I know yeah, history, you, could, you could talk to your. Yeah, you could talk to your parents about it. Can't really talk to mine about it, but you could definitely talk to your parents about it and see see what it was like. I'd love to hear your summation after that conversation if you did have yeah, that. That'll be. A, but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be a fun conversation. I'm gonna have that conversation. Um, Next time I, I call my mom and talk to her later this week. That sounds great. She'll probably be expecting it now. I bet she listens to the podcast. Does she really? I don't know. Like, she she somehow, like, reads my Twitter, despite not having a Twitter account, and, like, yeah. watches Versus Live. So, I like, I assume she just knows everything I do. You can you can Google someone's Twitter, and it just yeah. pops up, and, like, you don't, because, like, she could just Google Ross Merriam Twitter, but yeah, Mama Merriam, if you're listening, thank you. We appreciate it. And, uh, hi. <laughs> I hope I get to meet you sometime. Hi, He's all like a wonderful the internet radio. Yeah, on the internet radio. Yeah, exactly. Um, I will say it's really funny. Uh, my mother, uh, she got active on social media recently, like on on Facebook, and she is very active. In fact, uh, my brother had to have a sit down with the other day to give her kind of a what's the right word here kind of like a social like media a, a, etiquette talk yeah, yeah and a crash course and stuff he's like look you don't like and share your own posts like you know like things like that you know blah blah, blah. and she'll like my stuff or she'll be like hey i watched that video that you posted or that video of you from this event or whatever blah, blah. i'm like did you understand any of it she's like not a damn word <laughs> you know because <laughs> you know, it's like a deck tech or something yeah. you know or whatever and she's like, like, I'm speaking greek yeah, but she's like, she's like, yeah, but you looked good doing it. I love you, son. And I'm like, yeah, thanks, mom. It's great. <laughs> you know, but the one person watching and not judging me or whatever. So that's that's quite nice. Do you want to talk about some magic? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, shit has happened. So yeah, like a lot of shit has happened, right? Like yeah. like you said, this should be a big week, and something really big actually happens. We got something kind of unprecedented in the history of magic. They they changed the way cards work. Yeah, they made a it's a. The first power level errata for a competitive format in like 20 years or something. So it's like 1998 or something yeah. like that, I think. Or 1996. I don't know. Something. Someone Someone did the number the other day. I don't remember. Yeah, the I don't number. know what they errata then. I kind of like, like, what were people thinking in the late 90s during that combo winter era when just every set is like, what the fuck? We're just killing everybody on turn two. Like, this game is stupid. How, like, every, I always hear about how Magic, like, you know, took a big hit because of Affinity. And it took a while for Magic to recover. Did it take a similar hit in the 90s with the fucking Urza block? Like, how did the game survive that? So I was not around during the Urza block stuff. That was during one of my big hiatus. 
yeah. what I mean? Like, I, I missed all that. So I missed, like, Combo Winter, and, oh, oh, you know, and even before that, like, Combo yeah. Winter. I missed some and of that even stuff. even after that, you had the fucking Rebels block, where it's yeah. like, Lin Civy is fucked up, and Russian Port is stupid. Yeah, they, they had to ban those from block and stuff, yeah, yeah but... Um, I did live through the Ravager Ages. Like, I, yeah, so I was, I. I, I started playing competitively, like, right in that time, right? And I think it was, you know, it's, it's, it, there's a lot of problems to it besides power level. Like, the diversity problem is big, which I started having a problem a few years ago with some of the, with some of the constructed formats because they had a similar feel to them. Not the fact that, like, something was inherently broke, it's just that there was a best deck and everybody was playing it. You know, when you have, like, you know, team or energy or red black vehicles, it felt the same to me. You know what I mean? You kind of have like those flashbacks where you feel and your mind goes back to that place. You have that like nostalgia. And nostalgia doesn't have to be good. You kind of have like that. Are you saying that Ravager Affinity felt like this or or things feel like Ravager Affinity? Things made me feel like the time of Ravager Affinity when you would play and like, because like, I just like, okay. So I played Green Black Rock during that time, right? I loved that deck. You had like Eternal Witness, Death Cloud. You know, uh, oh the Death Cloud deck. Okay, the Death Cloud deck. Like Death Cloud's one of my favorite cards of all time. And so you played this deck, and I want to tell people cards that were in this main deck. Like you played like three or four Oxidize, which is literally just one green mana, destroy target artifact that can't be regenerated. Instant. You played, tel- yeah, Busted. it's an instant. Then you played Tel Jahad Justice. It's like one in a green. I don't think it was a naturalize. I think it only no, hit only artifact. destroyed artifact. It was Shatter that scryed two. Sh- shatter that scryed two. Um, you played Vir- Viridian Shaman, which is you know the two mana. Uh, Grey Ogre that... It's Octavia Orangutan. Everybody should know that. It's just Octavia Orangutan. Yeah, it just kills it. Um, it just does that. And then you played uh, a bunch of other removal too. Like you played like Echoing Decay and you played Terror because Terror was like the two mana Doom Blade at the time which yeah. actually they played Somber Hoverguard. Uh, yeah, they, and Disciple. Oh no, Disciple's black so you can't, can't hit that. Yeah, it didn't kill... It just killed Somber. Oh, they they played usually, Atog yeah, too. And they would play Atog at the time or Broodstar. They didn't always play Somber Hoverguard but I think they almost always played Atog. And so you had that and then you had Molder Slug. As well, it's a card that during your upkeep they have to sacrifice. It's a four six for oh, five. You have like, to sacrifice during... in your upkeep too, buddy. Yeah, it's each player. Well, I didn't play any besides Solemn and Malacrum, so I'm okay. So you acknowledge the trigger. Yeah, you definitely acknowledge the trigger, sure, whatever. So you had all that plus board cards that did even more, and it was still not enough. A lot. And this isn't your main yeah. deck, by the way. The, the the deck that eventually dethroned Affinity was the Eternal Slide deck Julian Wheaton won worlds with. That main deck four Viridian Shaman and had Astro Slide to go with it. Yeah. That is a like blast ra- from the past, by and the stuff. Way. Yeah. So when your Viridian Shamans just blinked every turn, then you could keep up with them. So yeah. So the, the long-winded answer that we we're going around here is, yeah, that that hurt Magic a lot. Like it, people didn't want to play. Like they didn't want to play against it every round. Uh, it was very stupid. Uh, quick quick aside, I was more scared of the people who played the deck slowly than the people who played the deck quickly most oh, of yeah. the time. Yeah, the people who played the deck quickly, yeah, they would kill you really quickly. The people who like. You can tell the people that were doing math right. They're like, all right, I can do like one or two less damage here, but it like guarantees lethal. Like, you know what I mean? They're not just all in trying to do as much as possible every turn. Yeah. They're just playing you know, like, removal. Like, yeah, I remember I played against one guy who was like, oh, my hand's insane. And he just like puts four frog mites into play on like turn two or whatever. And I was like, all right, echoing decay it. Like, you could have, you could have maybe not played the fourth one. I don't, I don't know. You know, like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, just little things like that. It's probably just correct to play all four, honestly, but whatever. Anyway, um, yeah, so. Long way to answer. I do think it hurts hurts the game quite a bit when there's you feel like you're forced into something, right? Or what you want to do is not even close to good enough. Yeah, and like you know, the anti you know affinity cards or the anti you know boogeyman cards just also don't feel good enough. That that's actually probably the biggest problem. And 
you know, more recently in standard, it hasn't really been those powerful linear decks that have been overpowered. It's been mid-range decks that are just too flexible, where it feels like you can beat them on any given weekend. But, you know, if you have the perfect 75 for what people are doing in their in, in their 75s, but you're never going to beat them the weekend after that with the same deck. So you either have to guess right every single weekend or just join them and tune for the mirror, you know, right? Um, so I did that a few times and it felt miserable. I did not like it. Yeah. Some people like it. That's their thing. You know what I mean? For me, it was not fun. The, the companion decks were almost kind of a blend of the two because like, the Luris decks were kind of powerful linears where Luris just gave them so much resilience that, it, you know, your hate cards didn't matter. And the Yorian decks were the super flexible value decks. Um, and those were the, obviously the two most successful companions. So, you know, they're nerfed now. I think everybody knows what the nerf is. It's about a week and a half, yeah. uh, you know. You, you have to, uh, my, I, I, I want to ask your just general thoughts on it, but I'll, I'll start with mine because they're definitely more important. And <laughs> I will, I will say that I'm happy that, you know, companion was nerfed or like some, you know, some change obviously need to be made because we got to the point where every single format felt like I can play a Luris aggro deck, a Yorian midrange or control deck or a combo deck. Right. And I, that, that was all you could do. Uh, I guess like Obosh was occasionally around in some of the yeah. other. Uh, well, you know, maybe you could Obosh if you felt like it, but it probably wasn't right. And now things are much different, which is, you know, different is good. It's definitely different is better than the same. But the change that they did make felt really haphazard to me, um, because this one go like significantly alters what it does. I think it, most people were expecting them to do the. You know, put a, you know, if you have a companion, put a card from your hand onto the bottom, put it into your hand, um, or just put a card from the bottom and you can play it once we're outside the game because that retains what they have on, on the reminder text. But they just like wholesale shifted what it is. And one, like, that's obviously like the, the clunkiest way to respond. And it seems to me like it was unnecessarily clunky. Um, and it also, the way they did it, does not treat each companion relatively equally. I think it's Agreed. very clear that Yorian got hit the least and Luris yeah. got hit the most. Yeah. And, you know, I may be a little bit biased, seeing as I spent the last month and a half playing nothing but Luris decks and hating playing its Yorian decks, yeah. but still the lack of, you know, equal treatment is awkward as well. And I, like, it's not like it takes any, you know, significant time or testing to figure that out. I think when everybody saw the announcement, that was immediately there, you know, within five minutes was a thought that ran through their head. They're like, so, like, Luris is basically unplayable, but I think he could probably Orient. And Which like, we're, we're going to see when we look at some of the results yeah. later today. And honestly, if they had let you pay the three at instant speed instead of sorcery speed, like, control decks with the Orient, I think, would be fine. Yeah, you'd just shrug it off, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would be it would be a change, but I think we would be still seeing a lot of Orient right now. So even just that small, subtle change really uh, would have helped Orient a lot and shows you, like, how resilient it can be to the added three mana cost because it's a much slower deck. My reaction, uh, very similar to yours, and just thank God, right? I'm just like, thank God we got this change because I was getting kind of burnt out on companion decks. Like, now you don't look at a list and immediately look at the sideboard first, right? You don't look to see what companion they're playing right away. And yeah, it was cool. Some of these decks were really cool and it was fun playing them against each other, but like for competitive diversity's sake. The first month was fun. Yeah, I think the last. Let us have weeks. our toys. Yeah, let us yeah. have our toys. Whatever. Thank God this didn't happen in paper. Can you imagine like having to watch these tournaments where it's just the two the same two decks every round? 
Yeah. Oh, it would have been horrible. Like, remember when SCG changed their, like, they were like, we're not going to do standard because it's so bad and nobody wants to watch it and, like, nobody wants to play it. I think we are gonna, we were going to, like, if we were having opens during this, I think it might have, do you think it would have happened faster? The outcry would have been even more. I mean, it already happened about as fast as it possibly can. You're probably right there, yeah. It's two months, you know, and they, they don't really move faster than that. Because they like to wait and collect their data, and I think it's good to do so. What look, what gets me is like, and I, I had the same idea with energy. Like we spent two years where energy was just the best thing to be doing, and you figured out what to do around it. You know, I can forgive when you just slip up, and and I can understand when you miss something like Felidar Guardian Sahili. You know, you're only like six people, or I don't know, ten people. I don't know how many people are actually playtesting this, but a very small group of people. Uh, and you can only put so much work into playtesting, and they're playtesting for, you know, limited and constructed. You know, they, they miss Sahili Guardian, whatever. You you emergency ban it, move on. But, like, energy was a core part of the set. Was one of the, was the major selling point of the set in terms of mechanics. And so clearly you're going to push something for constructed, and you should be testing dedicated energy decks. So how did they not test those decks and be like, you know, I think this is too good. I don't like it. No, I, I 100% agree with you. I remember one of the statements that stuck with me that people talked about it is they didn't realize how good Harness Lightning would be. They didn't realize it was just going to be Terminate, right? That the deck just had a two-mana kill everything. Like, but how? Like, how did you not just play a deck with a bunch of energy cards and be like, wow, I'm just killing everything I want with Harness Lightning? I don't know, honestly. I mean, we, this, that's a that's a conversation for two years ago, you know? like Because that's a conclusion that's easy to reach even with a small group of people. Like, it, you know, because we reached it testing for like a pro tour with a team of 10 people in two weeks, right? Do, do you want to know a secret? Yeah. They don't play test as much as you think they do. They don't have as many people doing it as you think they do. That group is fractioned off in a lot of ways. Um, they play test specific things at specific times. They don't have a ton of time to do it. And they outsource them to other departments. Do they ever have like, you know, a team of people where they just put them in a room and say like, build decks with it with this break it yeah just break it yeah that i don't i don't know like the the inner inner workings i just know the things that i've heard from people within the company i'm not going to ever name names obviously yeah but that like that was my understanding that like they don't test as much as we think but then they made that whole hullabaloo a couple years ago about having the play design team or play well yeah play design team do do you do you trust watsy when they say that stuff sure but like to i mean you know, this is like, you know, them talking about things they're doing in their company, right, to, you know, make a better product. And they're outright saying, like, this is why we're doing this. They're just, like, you know, blatantly lying through their teeth. That's a, that's a kind of brazen to me, if that's the case. Okay, it, it, here's the thing. I, I think their original intention was to do it. And then yeah. things didn't work out in the way they wanted to. They're not as, you know, they don't get to put as many man hours and, you know, or people hours and stuff. Because they have like, oh, like I know, I know for a fact that some people like had to go mess with other games, you know, like the Transformers CCG and stuff like that. Like people were working on that instead of, you know, instead of, uh, instead of Magic and stuff like that. Like that, that's a problem, right? Like you hire these people to do this thing. Like here, here's a perfect example. Do you remember a few years ago when um, they were having problems with OP, you know, organized play, and they were having to change it very drastically, like pretty often. Yeah, and nobody knew like what the season was. Or yeah, what, nobody what knew what was going on. And they hired, they were like, all right, we're going to, we're going to pick some people and put them into like a, a, a group 
and they're going to help us with this, right? They're going to be like, uh, yeah, it was like a group of pros that were going to be, yes. you know, like, like Willie Edel comes to mind. Yeah, like liaisons. There we go. Like Willie Edel comes to mind, like some other people or whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Do you remember when they did that? Yeah. Do you remember how you never heard anything about it? They made this big, annu- they made this big announcement about doing it and how they're going to like whatever, blah, blah. Uh, somebody talked about it later. They said that they were talked to like a couple times, if anything, nothing was ever really like responded to or used. And then they were just like told they were done. They're like, thank, thank you for your time, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I, th- I think it kind of happens that way with Watsi a lot. I think Watsi does the throw spaghetti at the wall thing a lot and figures out what sticks. And then they'll just go from there and the trial and error a little bit too much. Um, maybe being a little harsh on them. I was pretty harsh on them on Twitter today as well for the Sandy Dog incident that happened over the last few days. Because, like, that's just utterly ridiculous. Like, the response of, like, oh, sorry, we didn't know who you were. Like, are, are you fucking joking me? Comically incompetent. Like... He's literally the most inspirational story to probably ever happen in Magic. You know, like, it, yeah. you can Google it. I don't I don't want to get into it or whatever too much. But, like, it's just, it angers me to a core. Because it, it shows a, a problem, right? And anyone who who, who on Twitter or social media or, or Facebook saw, saw Zayam's uh, post from this week, uh, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of talk going on about that. I loved that and shared it myself because this is something people have known and said for a long time. And it's nice to see someone say damn the repercussions because stuff's probably going to happen it's the the way they work i made peace a long time ago that i'm never going to work for watsy or you know do anything like that stuff and i'm kind of i'm kind of over having i'm kind of over having the guillotine over my head if that, if you get what i'm trying to say here i'm over having that that shadow over me of like i have to be nice i have sort to play right it, please yeah like the, the, exactly like and you'll notice that certain people are very quiet on social media right now, right? Because they have to be. Like, you know, the, the the most, the biggest names in the game cannot say a word about this stuff. It's in their contract. And can you, can you, can you imagine if like professional athletes weren't allowed to, to ever say anything bad about, about what they, what they work for? If it's in their contract, you can't, they would just say no. Like the players union would never put up with that. Yeah. Right. It's funny to me that like when this whole MPL thing started and the people in it took some heat on social media about, you know, you know, people not really believing them and saying, look, well, you have to say that, you know, that's, you know, then we find out that's true. <laughs> and they all said like, no, no, like they don't police anything. Like I, I, you know, I, these are, I'm being, you know, honest and straightforward. And like my point, they, their point was always, as I understood it, like they were mad that we were assuming that they were being disingenuous and my point was always, well, we should have a right to be skeptical because even if there's nothing explicitly barring you and nobody's saying that, then you, you still have these this incentive structure. Like, you know that if you do things that are good for Watsi, then Watsi will do things that are good for you. Uh, you know, that's just life, right? Um, yeah, you should expect someone to bite the hand that feeds them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, and we're not even saying that like, you're specifically being disingenuous now. We're just saying that, like, you know, your words aren't, like because of your situation, your words sort of come with an asterisk, and I, I think that's perfectly reasonable to say. And now, come to to see it now, apparently, like their contract just says they they can't. I mean, it was very vague, and I don't know exactly how the legalese works, but um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not a. So I don't have there a is degree. like actually a clause that directly addressing this, and that was you know sort of the worst I would think anyone would have thought. Uh, so 
kind of ridiculous. I think we've gone a lot off topic here from just talking about... This is our brand, Ross. This, At least this started like, we're from off... us saying this is the first nerf since the 90s. Right. We're, we're off topic, but on, we're on, it's an on topic, off topic. Well, it's on, an on topic on, tangent. Off topic, but on theme. There you go. Again, thank you. <laughs> you're you're yeah. always better at this stuff than I am. But, but I think so. it's important to talk about. Like These are things that have come up a lot in the last week and yeah, things that people are angry what, about. You know, more big stuff in the magic community and like... You know, I, and this I this is what I said on social media about it. it was like this is why I just don't pay attention to when any corporation puts out anything. You know, with regards to, to social issues, because like you know that no matter who who runs them or what they are, like that they every single company exists to do one thing, and that's to generate profit. And so that that always you know whether or not you know, and some people might actually act against that. Uh, you know. That central driving force behind their business and actually do things that, you know, uh, decrease their profits because they think it's right. And I bet some do. And, you know, good for them. But in this case, like, you know, when the responses come in after you see and sort of get the lay of the land and see that these protests are being widely supported, you know, that... You know, it's clear that even if you're not trying to be disingenuous, that there's an air of being being disingenuous. You know, even for something like this for us, right? Like, even though this is just our two people and, you know, we don't make very much money off of this thing, I would still be, you know, wary of, of us and people in, in similar positions when we, you know, make any statement as the pioneer cast. You know, we sent out one tweet last week and saying that we weren't doing the show and why. And it wasn't very long uh, because I didn't want to make some, you know, long roundabout statement when it was completely unnecessary. Like if I want to talk about these things, I'll talk about them from, you know, my personal platform, which does, you know, tie into all of these professional platforms, sort of an unfortunate reality of the job that and the occupation that I'm in. But, you know, fortunately, I've been afforded some significant leeway in that regard. Listening to you talk about these things, like specifically the last two things, um, I can like feel my blood boiling in my body because I'm just so fucking angry over everything that's going on, right? And all and the way a lot of the stuff's handled. And I just want to yell about a few things. And like, you know, I don't think I should. It's like you said, you know, we we do represent an entity. You know, we you know, if I say something bad on the show and we get in trouble, I would feel really bad for your career. Like I wouldn't want to hurt your career. You know, we like. You know, the thing with Watsi last week, you know, you talked about, or it, this week, I guess, technically, you know, you talked about, you know, corporations coming up and we talked about them kind of tokenizing a few of their players, uh, which I didn't really agree with what was going on there. Like, hey, look, we have black friends. Especially when they've been like, you know, recently criticized on that regard by Greg Orange, but go on. Yeah, like the that's the one that really got people when they, when they did Greg Orange. That one was not really well perceived because they fucked him. There's, there's no other way to put it. Like... They straight up crushed that guy's career. They made what? Look, I don't know his personal life. Like, I don't know if he's like married, had a kid, like whatever. But but was what possibly was the biggest moment of his life? You know, he won a pro tour, Ross, and like they made it irrelevant. They literally like wiped it from the record books and like stuff. Um, I'm using literally like very figuratively here, but because like you can go find it, like you can find this on Google that he won this pro tour, but it amounted to almost nothing when. Other people, when they win a pro tour, sets them up for years, right? And the fact that, like, you know, they, a lot of people talk about that he wasn't chosen for MPL and stuff like that. When he was, like, the fifth-ranked player in the world and he's he's black, like, come on. You know, like, all this stuff, like, you did all this stuff and then you're going to tokenize him as your your black friend? Like, just get out of here. 
with that like what's the saying the kids have missed me with it you know or whatever sure like, yeah and stuff so I, look i'm gonna go i'm gonna get real angry if we keep talking about more of the stuff um i, I kind of just want to go off <laughs> honestly but you know i i sympathize with you very much there tannin and i myself often have the impulse to to go off but you know i anytime i have that impulse you know you got to think about a few things like one who is this benefiting? And if you're just going off and talking about these things to vent, doing that publicly doesn't really make any sense um, because you're, you're doing it to a large audience. And it's clear that like you're sort of that is actual virtue signaling and not the, you know. Right. Uh, I'm trying not. That's a big thing. I'm trying not yeah, to do. Right. That, and that's instead of the. Also, the they don't need another, no one needs another white guy screaming into the void about this. Stuff. Yeah. And like, right. who's who's it going to benefit? And then like, what are the consequences of it going to be? And then. Are like, is it worth those consequences? Because, you know, if you're ar arguing about something trivial and it's really going to cost you something, like, you know, sort of pick your battles. You don't have to go off about every single issue all the time. And oftentimes that's just going to lead to you burning out. So you do often just have to pick your battles, you know. There's a lot of shit going on and you don't have to be 100% uh, in tune with all of it. That's something I've run into. Like, I I'm trying to, you know, trying to keep abreast of so much stuff like you you just can't i literally can't be well informed on every single geopolitical issue that is going on i can't tell you much about you know what's going on in india for instance you know i know there's some shit going down but i uh, and i have some you know vague details about it but i couldn't give you a you know long in-depth you know explanation whereas i could you know talk to you a lot more easily about what's been going on in bolivia or and obviously you know domestic issues i'm a little bit more in tune with for a good reason. Hey, I got an easy fix to this. Let's talk about the let's talk about the Pioneer Challenge <laughs> this weekend. Yeah, I guess we talked enough about the ban ish. <laughs> well, because like this this kind of this kind of goes back to the bans, right? This is we have two results here from from the last couple of days. We have yeah, the Pioneer from Challenge after the ban took effect online, right? Which also took like three days for some reason, which is weird. Don't, don't look. Don't get me started again, please, because <laughs> that was pretty ridiculous. But anyway, like we're gonna do this thing, but for three days, like you can still do the other thing. Or whatever, what, whatever, you know, it gives people time, I guess, to get some value out of their cards, maybe. You know, there's there's, there's an argument for both sides, but um, let's talk about the Pioneer Challenge first. And uh, this is kind of like what I thought would happen. Some oldies, but some goodies came back to really just be good, and you can kind of see it. I don't think this will surprise anyone. The, the, the deck that won the Pioneer Challenge was just good old Inverter. The deck that was probably the best deck before, or... Not probably, just was. There were times when decks rose up above Inverter, but Inverter eventually adapted, right? You know, Ashiok and other, you know, uh, more Heroes Downfalls and things like that. Sometimes Jace Friends Prodigy were ways that, you know, Inverter adapted over time. And, you know, it was just the best deck. Um, and I don't think anybody is surprised to see it. You know, it was the best performing deck over this last weekend. It's, you know, pretty easy to get a reasonably well-tuned list. Uh, you know, a lot of people have high skill with it already. And, you know, it performed well in both events over the weekend. Not a surprise at all. Uh, I will say it's neat to see the innovation of one cling to dust. I think almost every list I've seen has just had one of those main. Uh, I'm not, like, the first time I saw it was in Canister's list. So I'm not sure if, if he was the one who, you know, uh, spearheaded that. Wouldn't surprise me, given his visibility. Yeah, I think this is the thing that kind of happened because of what's going on in Modern and Legacy with this card. This card is just main deckable in both those formats and very good. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll see how much it is after the change now. Like it was a big part of modern because you're seeing a lot of Uro, you're seeing Luris 
right? You know, you're seeing cards that are actively going with it. And I don't know if you saw this, but the prowess decks in modern were actually becoming red black. Yeah, for a while. No, for Luris, I think that was just the best deck, and it was four cling to dust, and that was a big part of it. Like, mod- the prowess deck really wanted another good cantrip, and yeah. cling to dust actually is just another very, very good cantrip. But here it's still a one of, you know, like it can sometimes, you know, uh, mess up uh, dig through time. It can mess up a Jason's prodigy. It can, you know, deal with an Uro. It can deal with a scrappy scrounger. Uh, just a lot of like little utility, but for the most part, just like one mana cantrip. Occasionally you'll cantrip it in the late game. Pretty easy to have in your deck. Uh, very low cost to it. But w- when it's good, it, it can actually win you a game. And decks with th- that low of a cost that have that high of a ceiling, even if you don't realize that ceiling very often, you know, easy, oh, for sure. easy card to play. And so really like that that innovation. I do think the escape clause on it comes into effect, I think, a non-zero amount of time over the span of a tournament. You know, like being able to, you know, it's kind of acts like, I've seen people cast Dig Through Time with this deck and almost not care what cards they get from Dig Through Time. They just want to make their graveyard small enough that they can come all off as quickly as possible. And Cling Through Dust does that, you know, in some way as well, while being a little bit cheaper in some ways, even though you, you know, it, it, it depends on how you play or whatever. But yeah, it's pretty cool to get. A deck that I'm really interested to talk about for a second, though, and you you and I were talking about this before the show, and you had some, you had some thoughts on this, was the second place list uh, from the challenge, which is a red deck. I'm on a red deck. It's no longer Luris Burn, like we've been looking at. And uh, this one kind of harkens back to the red lists that were... Um, you kind of saw at the beginning of the format, you know, like we had the red list at the beginning of the format. They were like low to the ground with a little bit of top end. And then we got chunky red or chonky. I think is how they said it. Chonky red for a little while, you know, with, you know, five drops and stuff that, you know, dragons and stuff in the deck. And this one doesn't really have that. You see the top of the curve being at Torbrin, you know, but you still have a lot of the good cheap cards, but you made this point. I'm going to let you kind of go on it. You know, is the red is, is red and is the red deck just like one of the best things to be doing in this format over the span of time? And I, I think the answer might be yes. Yeah, we saw decks like this emerging, you know, two months ago, right? Three months ago. And they were topping out at Torbrin. Um, they, they looked at somewhat similar to this. So uh, not super surprised to see it come back. But it, it, I was sort of surprised. And if you look at past the top eight here, you know, like 11th, 13th, 16th, something like that. And the X2 bracket goes down to 17th. But in that bracket, but not in top eight, there's three Luris Burn decks. And there's a Luris Heroic deck in this top eight in sixth or seventh. So even though Luris got a huge nerf, like if this very first tournament after the bans, you know, it still saw significant play and, and did reasonably well. And, you know, part of that is a function of this being, you know, tournament being held right after the the announcement, right? Or the, like right after the, the, the ban took took effect i guess this was uh yeah this was on the 6th so this was saturday um and i think people are so you know there's a little bit of time i guess you know they had uh you know a day and a half or so not a lot but yeah not a lot of time so i bet a lot of people were just you know playing their same old decks or whatever and the luris deck's doing well even though luris has not been very good and i've played a bit you know post companion with luris and it like the extra three is huge you don't really play luris that often uh, you know, these burn decks still putting up some numbers tells me that like red is pretty good. And then obviously like once you adapt it to not use Luris, not have to use Luris, you know, apparently it gets even better taking second here, you know, small sample size. So no, certainly far from definitive, but we saw decks like this a few months ago. So no surprise to see a deck like this again. I think the, the big change here is Goblin Rabble Master, which is, I don't think a card we, we saw before, but I'm not, not entirely sure. Uh, I, I remember seeing it more when they were playing Embercleave. 
you know, because it gives yeah, you multiple bodies yeah. and like, triggers something on Ember Cleave a lot, a lot easier. But certainly a good card with Torbrin and just a good card in general. Yeah, I mean, usually requires two cards. You know, if you get the token out of it, you at least get something if they have a removal spell type thing at, at some point. So definitely a good card, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, this is the way I would be trying to build my aggro decks. I don't think it's worth the restriction to put Luris in your deck anymore. So I'm just playing good three mana cards, and we see Bonecrusher Giant, Goblin Rattle Master, a couple four drops here. Uh, you know, also Rampaging Ferocidon. You know, so I think those having those cards in your deck is going to be more worthwhile than being able to play Luris for six mana in your aggro deck. So, uh, you know. I would say surprised at first glance to see this here, but upon closer reflection, not so surprised. Also love these collective defiances in the sideboard. Yeah, I think definitely agree. The collective defiance one of the the sneaky things for the uh, the inverter matchup. Yeah. I remember Todd Anderson making that pretty popular. Uh, it was one of the first people I saw doing that. Yeah, I actually uh, I played the showcase challenge last Sunday with is, is it in Soul back to regular is it, and I played a second Ibnu Rivulet in my deck just because I knew there was going to be a lot of inverter. Right. Yeah. Uh, and and got one of them with it. I felt great. I drew like 11 lands that game too, so I just kept making land drops and just had it in my hand the entire time, but there was never like any inclination that I might be holding it back, and I just like went for it on like turn eight or something. Yeah, okay, Rivulet you. Yeah, that's that that one feels real good when you get them that way. It's probably your only way of winning the game as well. Oh, yeah. Or one of the ways you're, yeah. Collective um, Defiance does double duty though, because it also kills Kalidus if they have it in their sideboard. That is actually a really good point. That card is just, it's one of those cards when I first read it, I was like, yo, this card's good. Like, this card's powerful, and it never really did anything. So, very true to see that it's it's, it's having its day, finally. Yeah. Um, another deck that I did want to talk about, and I thought was pretty cool, because this one kind of survived, is the third place list, and this is Esper Control. Now, this is a deck that we kind of saw becoming very popular right before the change, right? Right before we got the, yeah. the companion. We nerf. saw Esper and Blue-White Control, and Blue-White Control is in eighth place, another deck that sort of survived. Uh, you know, so two different kinds of control, and they both do well here, top eighting this event. Um, and this is kind of talking, it's harking to where you talked about earlier, it's like, they still have Yorian on their sideboard, and they're still Yorining, like they're trying to do that, because paying three mana to put this in your hand late in the game, and even on you know, turn eight, you could just do it, it's still good enough. And you're actually seeing kind of a weird thing going on here. There are two Yorian main in this deck. So they're they're also casting Yorian from their hand quite a bit as well. Because they figured out that's just really good to do. And you're seeing stuff like, it's got four Oath of Kaya, four Omen of the Sea, two Omen of the Sun, three Trial Ambition, and then a slew of Planeswalkers. So there's a lot of value to be had of just casting a four or five here. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I don't think anybody is doubting that when you know properly enabled or in the right context, Yorian's a very powerful magic card. It's just that when it was your companion, you didn't want to draw one before you cast the companion one. There was no point. And so, you know, you just didn't really need... And, like, how often did you need, really need the second copy? Uh, you know, not that often, even. So you might as well just put other things in your deck. And then you always have the Yorian on turn five if you need it, or later. You know, here, when you don't have that, yeah, I think it pretty clearly becomes worthwhile to try out some Yorians in your main deck. And now, like, the, the worst part is, like, your opponents just aren't... They're never going to see it coming. They're just like, oh, my opponent's playing, you know, playing the Orion deck, but and like they have the Orion over here. Now it's like more worthwhile to draw one because you can actually play it on turn five when you need it instead of having to wait till turn eight. And like, I, I bet they got multiple blowouts over the course of this tournament when their opponent was like, oh yeah, they can put Orion in their deck. That's a thing that you can do. 
Yeah, you've, you've like never seen it cast from someone's hand before. It's like always from the command zone, or I'm sorry, the companion zone. And you're thinking like, oh, they haven't paid the three yet. I'm safe. They can't Yorian me, like do some other stuff, maybe play around a verdict. And it's like, okay, Yorian you. All right, I got to ask. The fourth place list. Were you kind of happy to see this deck coming back? Yeah, I actually think this deck is a great deck to exist in Pioneer. I would love for it to be sort of a staple of the format for years to come. Like an evergreen, like yeah, like like the burn deck of of modern. Like that deck's just been there. Yeah, and I think this deck is way more fun to play against than like a Alurus burn. And uh, we're talking about mono black aggro, kind of making its way back here. No smuggler's copter, obviously that card is still banned. Uh, no Luris in here, right? I mean, yeah, this is not checker, really but... a deck that utilizes Luris that well. Right. Because all your cheap creatures come back, come back anyway. anyway. Yeah, yeah, they don't they don't need you know, Luris, so they it, come back it, anyway. It's not generating extra card advantage. It's saving you a little bit of mana, and maybe like you know you can cast a knight uh, every so often, uh, but just not really necessary. And I'm gonna say this: any deck that gets to play four Fatal Push, four Thoughtseize, four Castle Lockdown, and four Mutavolt, I'm I'm in. Yeah, Ross, it doesn't take much more of that for me. I love it. I just want like. I'm not sure I love this if near Deadlands because there are games where your Castle Octavian's enter tapped and that would be heinous. Like any hand where I draw if near Deadlands, Castle, no swamp. I'm just gonna be like, why is this if near Deadlands in my hand? And I'm like, I have to imagine that happens more often than you sacrificing this debt, this land. You just said that to me, and like all I can imagine is like every time that I've ever teamed with you anywhere and you've said something like that, and it's happened in the tournament, in the look you give me. Like, you'll show me your hand, and then you look at me, and you're like, it's happening, or whatever. Like, you know, I said this is going to happen. And just the look, like, the incredulous, just like, I hate everything right now look of just like, it taking every fiber of your being not to grab your deck and just punt it into the nearest trash can. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, believe me, I love value lands. I love any any way to get value from my lands. I love trying to squeeze them into my deck. In an aggro deck with four Castle Octwane and four Mutavolt already, that, you know, makes the castles awkward. Like, sure, if you had 18 Swamps here, yeah, go nuts. Maybe play some Deadlands. Uh, you know, you're still going to get got occasionally, but, you know, way less often. But you're already playing for me to vault. Like, this is the fifth one. You know, I, I don't know. Your, your deck already has a, quite a good amount of removal between Murderous Rider, Fatal Push, Heartless Act, and Rankle Edicts, Edicting. I, I don't really get it. But I, lo- I love this deck existing. I, it's a very fun deck to play. Just because, you know, it's an aggro deck, so you're putting pressure on your opponent. You've got good disruption. You can play into the long game. You you know, once you get to, like, turn four or five, you have lots of options. It's not just like, oh, man, I hope I draw my Embercleave so I can actually kill them. Or, like, I don't know. This is, this is close to ideal magic, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm a huge like- fan of it. I've always been a huge fan of this deck. I've always wanted to play it if I ever got to play in like a, you know, a paper turn or whatever. It's it's the kind of deck that I like. It's it's aggressive, it's disruptive, and it's very good at spending all of its mana every turn. Yes, exactly. And I am very big fan of that. I, I basically ported the deck into modern, right? Building the, the Orzhov Copter deck. Although I, I shouldn't say that I built that deck. It was like the French. I eventually realized that I was building their deck. And I was like, oh, I remember this deck existing. And I went back and like looked up what things they had, different cards. And that certainly did influence me. You know, I, I basically updated their deck. Um, but I do wonder if you want uh, cling to dust in the sideboard of this deck, or maybe if, if Soul Guy Lantern is, is just better. Yeah, for, like graveyard, it, especially as a cyber card. Like when you're bringing this Soul Guy Lantern in, it's to stop the inverter combo for a, a turn or two. It's to you know stop rally the ancestors and things like that. You're, you're, I don't really want to side in cling to dust. Cling to dust is that card that you can main deck when it's good, and that gives you incidental graveyard hate in metagames where, where you want it. 
And this deck doesn't really want to spend its mana on cling to dust. Like you want it, you need, you're already good at using all your mana, right? Uh, and you're not really interested in a cheap cantrip, so definitely not the deck for cling to dust. Even though it's a good card in this deck's only color, so you think like, oh, they're scraping for you know good cards, like they're playing a fucking infernal reckoning in their deck. Um, so, but the, this deck, I'm, you know, I, I'm probably going to try this deck out again because I think it's probably in a reasonable position right now. Um, it's also getting a pretty good card from the new set. I, I think I'll wait until the, the new set is in, and we'll, we'll talk about some new cards, in particular Eliminate, uh, which will, I think, slot in nicely again with Heartless Act, although I guess it's awkward with Fatal Push in particular. But you have Murderous Rider to cover bigger creatures. We'll have to, so. we'll have to see. We'll see, like... So you also have Murderous Rider to cover Planeswalkers, too, so... Yeah, maybe it's not... Maybe it's just not going to be able to find a slot, but we'll see what the other decks look like. That's what's, like, important, right? When you oh, look yeah. at your removal, it needs to match up against what other people are doing. Um, fifth place, we can kind of just shy over. It's another Inverter of Truth deck. I know you were kind of... You thought the sixth place deck was kind of cool. Another deck that just kind of survived, right? And this is the the red-white heroic deck well, with Luris. I mean, it did well here. It's only one in the, in the X2 bracket or better, but this basically is just stock yeah, or heroic from when Luris was good. So I have to assume that this person was just like, oh, this is my, you know, Boris deck, my heroic deck. I'm just going to play it. I, I'm like... You could play some Feathers, I guess, if you wanted to. But I'm honestly not convinced that Feather was even that good in this deck. Um, right? I think it's a really good card when you get to untap with it, but it made the mana awkward. It raised your curve. Part of the reason that I think Luris, um, one of the, or I should say, one of the reasons I think Luris will have a long-lasting impact on Magic, even after this nerf, is I think it forced aggro players to build their decks better just by lowering their curve and not including, you know, overrated three and four mana cards. That is to say, you know, the red deck that did well did include lots of three and four mana cards. But decks like this are a prime example, and I think Burn another one. Like, those decks should be lowering their curve as much as possible. Like, this is a deck that needs to get underneath you, needs to kill people quickly. It doesn't really have a ton of staying power, whereas that red deck that took second does. And that's part of the reason that I think it's a better deck overall, because, you know, Bone Crusher Giants have card advantage, uh, you know, you you get good value from your lands. You don't flood as often. All that all that stuff. Um, I think the medium hands from the other red deck and the mono black deck are way better than like the medium hands yeah, from this, this deck. This deck's definitely more high variance, but you, you've got to play into that, and you've got to have that low curve, and you've got to get out underneath people. Heroic decks are, do not play well from behind. Titan Strength is not a card that plays well from behind. Explain I don't care. Us. I don't care if you get it back with Feather. I, I honestly don't. So. Uh, you know, well, they're not even uh, playing Feather anymore, thank God. I've, I've never well, been a this huge list fan is of the card. I've seen some lists still play some, and the main person who plays this deck, Antonio, I think was playing two Feathers. Like Maybe you want the card in small numbers, because it is powerful, but I don't think it should be the Boris Feather deck. Like, it's a heroic deck, and it's trying to kill people, and you should steer into the skid. Um, so, you know, I, I don't I don't see this deck sticking around, um, uh, at least as, a, you know, as good as it was over the last month. It's been around a little bit, even before Companions, and I think it'll go back to that fringe status, but I think people will build their deck differently, and it will get better as a result. Yeah, 100% agree. Um, seventh place, another Inverter deck. Um, eighth place, another Blast from the past, uh, like we oh, talked about. Oh, this was Esper too. I thought this person was blue-white, but they do have Oath of Kai. They're, they're like blue-white spl- just touching black. Yeah, they're blue-white and dabbling. Is all yeah. like, they're, they're dabbling. Unmoored you know, Ego in the sideboard and Oath of Kai in the main. Okay, so just a tiny splash. Yeah, this one has Shark Typhoon in it, which I'm a huge fan of this card, especially if like the Esper deck starts taking off. Just a, a big, dumb card that's very yeah. good. And great in the control mirror. 
lets you you know get that threat established on their end step without committing man on your own turn and it's not counterable and that they actually have to tap out on their main phase to deal with it unless they charm it i guess um which is you know whatever so uh another yorian deck that used yorian on the sideboard no yorian's main but just another deck that just kind of gets to shrug off the yeah i gotta pay three for this but yeah i mean it but th this top eight is like largely a continuation of what we had seen. There's not a lot of deviation. You know, people had already started going back to 60 card inverter before. All that changed is everybody is 100% on 60 card inverter. There's no Yorian inverter. And the 60 card inverter deck got a lot better because yeah. it's competition all got worse. 100% so, agree. Um, you know, that's the only real takeaway for me here. Uh, you know, there's the... The remark on the red deck, maybe maybe we'll see it stick around. I like like the other aggro decks, you know, coming back. For as much as I said, like we saw Luris decks, you know, in the top sixteen, there was one in this top eight. The the two highest finishing ones, you know, QB Turtle in fourth place and then LSN in second, are both the old style aggro decks. So it seems to me to harken back a return to the pre companion metagame, though the Yorian decks are still around, and that makes sense. But you know, when we talked about the nerf. It seems like Yorian is the one that survives the most. That's what is bearing out, at least for now. No, absolutely. Now, I do want to shift focus over to the Pioneer Showcase Challenge that we had this weekend. Another big, you know, Pioneer event. Uh, cool to see some of these decks. I do kind of want to pat myself on the back just a tiny bit for the winning deck, Ross. This is something that, you you know, when I mentioned it in the show, you're like, I don't know where you're going with this. And then you kind of, you kind of figured it out. And you're like, oh, you get it. This is a deck that... Yeah, again, another blast from the past that I thought could make a comeback if we took companions, quote-unquote, out of the format. You know, companions had a change. And the deck that won was Spirits. This is a deck that I said that I thought could make a comeback if we didn't have, you know, Luris and Yorian chilling everywhere. Yeah, pretty, you know, stock Spirits deck here. They're playing a Brazen Borrower instead of one of the one-drops. Not a choice I like in particular, but, um, you know, it, it's you know perfectly reasonable. Uh, but this is just... Bant Spirits doing its thing, and uh, you know the deck. The deck was good pre uh, pre companion. Just didn't incorporate a companion spell. You know you really needed your three drops, so you couldn't really play Luris, uh, and you didn't really want to play Yorian. It doesn't doesn't. I thought about it. I was like, well, yeah, why don't they play Yorian? And like, but you don't want an eighty card deck. You like don't really have much that you like that you're blinking for like you don't want to blink yeah. your spell crawlers usually <laughs> like, yeah, like what yeah. are you what are you adding like remorseful cleric would have been okay um uh <laughs> yeah, th there's just no reason like the, yeah, yeah. Uh, hanged executioner right you can blink that one get yourself an extra one one yeah this deck's just too tight right like it's, yeah, it's got exactly. too tight of a fit so now you know it gets to it gets to return definitely something to watch out for like you know, I've been metagaming my decks certainly away from Spirits under Companion because it disappeared. You know, you're going to have to do a little bit better there now uh, for that matchup. I actually lost to this person in round one of this challenge. <laughs> oh, I'm glad I brought it up then. Yeah, so, uh, you know, definitely a, a deck to watch out for because we're we're kind of going backwards. I imagine there will be some innovation because I'm sure there are Aquaria cards that are worthy of seeing play, you know, you know even with the nerf. Yorian and Shark Typhoon definitely seeing play in the control decks. So that's a, a, a nice addition to the metagame because those control decks, you know, they've poked, peeked their, their head around a little bit on occasion. Maybe they can, you know, become a more longstanding or permanent fixture of the metagame. You know, we also, you know, in fourth place from Budikov, we see the other model black aggro deck, which is Vampires. Certainly less aggressive, but... You know, in, third, in third place, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like third place, sorry. Yeah, this was um, a little different than the other mono black deck we saw, but 
Uh, you yeah, still like this it a lot, is a deck right? we've seen before. You know, so it's been, it's been around, but you know, another deck that just didn't really get to utilize a companion very well. Now it's back. Uh, uh, you know, continuing that same story. You know, second place we see Inverter. Inverter continuing to do really well. And I think that I think these two people did split the finals. So I uh, like the difference between first and second is probably moot. Um, and then you know you see another inverter in fifth. You see uh, so two two more inverters. And the rest of this top eight, I think, is where things get a little interesting. I guess there's a Lotus Breach too. You know, there's some weird stuff going on in this in this fourth place list. But we're we're seeing yeah we're seeing a little bit of new stuff here in the rest of this top eight. So people starting to innovate a little. Uh, it starts with a fourth place list from DeKing3603. I want to kind of jump in because I want to I want to say a few cards in this deck. Everybody knows what's going on, Tannen. You're not fooling anyone. I'm not going to fool anyone. I want to name a few cards in this deck and tell me this is something you've been like, yeah, pioneer deck. You know, when I talk about the fact that um, Gilded Goose, uh, Goblin Instigator. Uh, where was the other one? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Scampering Scorcher. You know, there's 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 a, there, there's some cards in here that uh, we haven't really seen much, but there's a, there's a specific reason. It's a Winota deck. You know, this card is getting a lot of press. It got emergency banned in history. I'm sorry, suspended. I think is the correct term. You got emergency suspended in historic. Um, so we're seeing it just do the, the 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 thing to put the big huge dumb idiot into play, like the human. And we're seeing Angrath's Marauders being the one for it here, and just a lot of ways to kind of capitalize on when you draw Winota. Yeah. No, I mean, this is this looks very, very similar to the historic Naya Winota deck, right? Uh, you know, you see mana creatures, you see Legion Warboss. I'm a little weirded out by the, their split favor Warboss over Ravelmaster, which is something you gain. You have Warboss in historic, you don't have Ravelmaster, so you get to play more copies of that card, which is, you know, your ideal. Your ideal curve is Elf into Rabble into Winota and get three triggers and hopefully kill them. Um, you know, this list is playing Kenrith as the supplementary hit instead of Hactos. Not even sure that's right, um, but maybe, I don't know. You know, we're still playing Angras Marauders as the main hit. That's what the Naya deck is doing there. You get to play Voice of Resurgence in this list, not available in Historic. That's a nice one, because a lot of the time, you know, people know what you're doing, and they hold up their removal for that Wynota, and now you punish them for it. It's, a, it's also a non-human to attack, so Voice... Fits great into this deck. Both, so, both ends of it, too. You yeah. Know, so it's, it's it's two in one, kind of. It's a, a few upgrades here, but I think the biggest one is actually uh, just Eldritch Evolution. Yeah, making sure is, you always have Winota. Like, yes. I, I made it, I saw it in the deck and immediately checked. I was like, this says X or less, right? You don't have to sack a two drop to get Winota. Yeah. You can sack a three. Uh, so, you know, perfect. Sacking Voice of Resurgence, you still get the token. So that's always gone great with Eldritch Evolution. I know back in you know years ago in modern, Jeff Oakland used to go turn two voice, turn three voice, or turn three evolution, just find P and Curin, yeah. and you know have nine power in play. Uh, you know back in the days where that was something you could even remotely do. Uh, but I mean, but, he you know, he even admits that he's like maybe it wasn't the best thing to be doing, but yeah, it, it, it sure was quit fun. It. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. He, he put up some results with it. So yeah, he has a really lot of top eight in the deck. Yeah, but this this is straightforward in what it's doing. You're just trying to curve into Winota and put some Angrass Marauders onto the battlefield. Mm -hmm. I actually kind of like the one Scampering Scorcher because it's something you can Eldritch Evolution for when you really need a lot of immediate triggers mm -hmm. if you're like Monoto sitting on the battlefield. Uh, so that's a neat one of. The Goblin Instigator is a little weird to me, but like, sure, it's a two drop that like you know provides two bodies for Winota, so whatever. Uh, so something but, you could you could Eldritch Evolution into Winota and still have a 
a thing there for the next turn sure. to attack with. Like that's that actually really yeah. good with Winota. Like it's, that one's it's just weird as a one of. Yeah, it's, weird it's as not a really one something of, like, your Eldritch Evolutioning for, yeah. but like I guess you just wanted another two drop and uh, yeah. maybe you want more of that card and less selfless spirit, but selfless spirit protects Minoto, which is nice. I, yeah, what I'm thinking about I want more, right? Because it's a two drop that you can edge evolution on turn three to put Winota into play, and then you have the thing left over to attack and trigger Winota. Like it seems like a combo piece to me, right? Like maybe that's something to be thinking of in the future. I'm not sure, but like it does seem like a perfect card. Yeah, I mean, it's really big brain. It's just kind mind. of an underpowered card, so I don't think yeah. you really want to be playing a ton of them. So it's it's fine. You know, I'm not um the this list looks you know looks pretty good. I bet it can get a little bit better, and we've seen how powerful the deck was in historic. It's not like you know Pioneer is definitely significantly bigger and more powerful in historic, but I think this deck's on on that power level. I think this could definitely just become a deck in Pioneer. So th- this is sort of our breakout deck of the week, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it's not anything too radical because you know it's a port of a deck that is already very good in the next smallest format, uh, which is generally a, you know a good place to innovate in in the format. Is look to the next one up and say, well, you know, what is broken here? Let's try to upgrade it and move it here and see if it's powerful enough to compete. Uh, and, and you know this is the showcase challenge, notable because you know while this is a smaller event, it's also an event comprised of only people that accrued you know forty qualifier points. So these are people that are either grinding all the time or have done really well in other big events before. Uh, so definitely notable that it does well in this event specifically, uh, and something I, I'll be watching out for moving forward. Oh, absolutely. And speaking of big names that you're going to hear in here, people that you know earn it, the seventh place list from Stainerson, very accomplished Magic Online player. Yes, um, Tommy Ashton, very, very strong player. Yeah. Um, with a new take on Mono Green Karn, the deck that Aspiring Spark kind of made uh pretty popular i say new take it looks pretty similar overall you know you're still seeing like you know four karn nissa's vivians but you're seeing the new vivian monsters advocate here yeah and another really good just good card yeah and i was i was saying i'm actually a pretty big fan of it i have to try it out you know i've played this deck quite a bit myself i like it a lot it's another card advantage engine right um, you might not have a ton of ways to shuffle your deck, which is pretty cool. I actually had a limited deck the other day where I had this, and I had a creature in play that lets me shuffle my deck. And so I was just like, you know, shuffling my deck multiple times. I was like using it like Sensei's Divining Top to try to find a creature off the top of my deck to cast. But it's going to kind of like play a lot of the ways that like um, Corsair of Crufix does. You know, you see 22 lands deck, but you also see 22 creatures. So when Vivian's in play and you're looking at the top card of your library, I found that I had problems with this deck with running out of gas, right? If they answered like, you know, if I went like turn two Wolf Willow Haven or like put some, you know, Jaylight Rangers or stuff into play to make a little bit or uh, elves to, to get mana early. And then I would like make my big play, right? I would play my four mana Planeswalker. If they counterspelled it or killed it and I didn't accrue enough value from it or get enough ahead, then I would kind of not do anything powerful in the next turn, right? Or the turn after that. And this is another card that can keep pushing you through that right yeah, also it generate three threes by itself i must say it makes three threes every single turn big deal here also it's another pseudo like toolbox card which is like kind of what the deck's doing right like karn goes and finds stuff and this is an arcbow ranger goes and finds stuff this gets stuff out of your own deck right like you have stuff like questing beasts and scavenging ooze in the deck yeah they're playing a couple tutor targets here for it but not going overboard most of the like if you're going to minus two it it's probably because you want to like draw more cards and you're like looking for a jaylight ranger but yeah, if you need to deal with the graveyard or, you know, you need to attack on a Planeswalker, you know, Questing Beast and Scavenging Goose, those are solid one because those are cards that, you know, they're okay to draw to. I, w- I would draw a Questing Beast in this deck and be fine with it. 
you know, put some counters from Vivian or Bow Ranger on it, give it trample. Especially with like the decks that are getting popular right now too, right? Like you're seeing a lot of these like Azorius or Esper decks that are trying to put a lot of permanents on the field, right? Yeah. And they're trying to put Planeswalkers specifically. And against the aggro decks, Questing Beast can play offensive defense. And, yeah, I think Questing Beast is a really well-positioned card right now going forward. So but the one thing that is surprising to me is that they're not actually following through on Spike's new tech for the deck. What's, what's the new tech from Spike? So Spike put Vivian in the deck, but did it for a very specific reason. Okay. It was to set up the combo between Heliod and Walking Ballista. So he's Ooh. playing four Ballista and just one Heliod off a of White Splash. And uh, saying, you know, a lot of the time I'm just going to have a Ballista, or, or playing three Ballista actually and one on the sideboard to get with Karn, right? Um, or or Nissa, I guess. And saying, you know what, I am sometimes just going to minus two my Vivian, play my Ballista for two and tutor for the Heliod and kill you if I have six mana. And, you know, pretty easy to make the splash work. It actually led to him getting to play a uh, a glass casket in the sideboard to wish for with Karn, which is a nice, nice one. That, that is Definitely a nice card one. you want to wish for. I actually see Tom, uh, Tommy has two walking ballists in the sideboard, so, which is, I guess, a little weird. I guess sometimes you want to board one in. Uh, I'm not sure. You know, just maybe you want to, you want to be able to get two of them. I guess. In I, some situations. I, one of the one of the different sideboard cards that he has is one that I'm a big fan of, and I've actually talked to Spike about in the past. Is there's a meteor golem in a sideboard for just when you have to answer a permanent Ross, when you just yeah. have to destroy a permanent. It kills any permanent. Yeah, I, I well, like that quite a bit. It's non-land, but still, it kills like you. Yeah, yeah. How how often do you need to kill land with this deck? So, no, that that seems sweet to me. I would I would like a meteor golem. It, it is kind of nice to see Nykthos come back, right? Like we've kind of hadn't really seen Nykthos in a while. You know, like, there's been some decks out there, like, on the fringe or whatever, but Nykthos was a powerhouse of this format before Companion got printed. And that that's actually just another way of showing you, and, like, another, like, a feather in its cap, or whatever you want to call it, like, of showing you how good Companion was. Not only did all the decks have to bend around it, but it, it just made some of the most powerful stuff and the most powerful things going on in the format, like, obsolete. Like, people just weren't doing that anymore. Yeah. No, and it really goes to show you the power of Companion. I'm I'm kind of surprised not to see the the Heliod tech. I think it's I think it's quite good. Like you know, we can get a third walking ballista in here. Uh, I think Spike was just playing four Vivian monsters out to get zero Vivian Arpa Ranger. So if you just cut the two Vivian Arpa Rangers and add third ballista, fourth Vivian, and then put a glass casket in your sideboard and like make small adjustments to the mana base. Uh, yeah, I think you you get you get quite a bit of. Uh, value out of that uh you know so i'm a little surprised to see it and i, I have to imagine that you know stanerson knows about that tech uh you know maybe this is independent invention but he's pretty tuned into what's going on and spike is pretty popular at this point so uh a little surprised to see that but not really surprised to see this deck this is once again like people are just going back and saying okay you know what old decks can i make some updates to maybe you know uh, Vivian Monsters Advocate is definitely a nice one, though. Um, you know, yeah, makes the deck better. So we're seeing that kind that kind of process. We're sort of going back to the beginning of Ikoria and saying, okay, we have this metagame. 
want Coria cards are now good because <laughs> you know there's a whole you know new world out there that we get to explore so yeah stuff might have been overshadowed by companion and speaking of new stuff to explore ross have you looked at the any of the spoiler for for m21 it's kind of sad for pioneer that like we're finally getting to explore Ikoria in full and see what's going on it's like okay now we got to look at this new set too so they're gonna kind of go on at, at one time so we're gonna go over a little bit of it today right like all, most of the spoilers aren't out yet um oh, yeah, we'll very do a little of it yeah, we'll do a we'll do a full spoiler episode like we did for. Oh yeah. Yeah, and uh, we're gonna revisit on who won the Acoria thing. Um, a little little. Uh, Don't spoil spo- it for them. Spoiler, Tanner. but I, I crushed Ross. But anyway, um, you know, bef- before we get into like cards that are new, that that are cool because we're gonna talk about a few of them. I'm actually okay. So there's been a lot of reprints in the set, right? That we've seen so far, like quite a bit, and some some pretty big ones. Uh, and I'm not just talking about size, like some some very important ones. I'm actually pretty happy with some of the reprints in here just to help out with card availability. And like, look, this one got previewed today. I know it doesn't seem like much, but I like the fact that Fabled Passage is getting printed again. I think this is a card that... Love Fabled Passage. Yeah, I think it's a card that could possibly come somewhat evergreen. Like, we'll see yeah, more often. I would often. love it if Fabled Passage yeah. were just an evergreen card. Yeah. Also, it's just nice because, let's be real, people stopped buying that set after Oko got banned and like just availability of the card is like... It's a it's a fifteen dollar rare or whatever. You know, I haven't lo- you know I haven't looked at the price of it in the last couple of days, but you get what I'm saying it's pretty expensive. Also, Ugin the Spirit Dragon is going to be in the set. Another really cool card that is getting played or has been played in Pioneer at the time. And when you do play it, you're generally playing three or four of them. And have you seen the price tag on that card, Ross? It is it's close to hundred, right? I'm not sure. Uh, I know it was over fifty or sixty dollars at some point, and it's not a cheap one. Is the way I'm getting at it. And so just having and look, I own four of them, so should, should I be mad that they're getting reprinted the value? No, I, I love it. I want people to be able to play the decks they want. I want people to, be able to get the cards that they want. Listed so, median on TCG is 53.48. Yeah, it's, it, it's probably gone down and, since and the yeah, reprint got announced. Yeah, I was going to say, right. it has probably gone so, down since it was, the reprint was um, announced. But I know that there was, a, there was a new card that you mentioned earlier in the show that you're a little bit excited about, a black removal spell. Yeah, that is Eliminate. Colorless and a black, destroy target creature or planeswalker with CMC three or less. You know, essentially smother, but also it's planeswalkers. Uh, very good removal spell, given, you know, there are lots of three mana planeswalkers that we need to kill, especially in older formats where Narset and Teferi, uh, I mean, Teferi's powerful everywhere, but Narset a little bit more so in, in the older formats. Um, you know, taking these things out while also being able to deal with cheap creatures against aggressive decks, definitely something I'm interested in. Could be a removal spell for Esper Control. Could be a removal spell for Mono Black Aggro of varying stripes. Soul Tide Delirium, if we see people go back to that deck. Uh, you know, could definitely be a removal spell for them. Though they have Abrupt Decay. So, uh, yeah, they, they probably don't need it. Just because they already have Abrupt Decay. So, uh, But for non-Golgari decks, non-Golgari Black decks, Eliminate is definitely a removal spell that you're going to want to try. Now, you know, when it comes to removal, it's always metagame dependent. You're always playing the reactive role when you're playing removal. So too, when you're building with it, you know, what threats are people playing? You know, that's that's going to determine what removal you play. So, uh, but this one is definitely just in the conversation. And that's all you can ask for when it comes to removal spells in uh, in any format. Is like, is this one that I'm always going to think about? And always going to be like, is this the one I should be playing? And uh, that's definitely in there. And honestly, you know, Strikes Me is probably one the most obviously impactful card that they've previewed thus far. Okay, I'm not sure I 100% agree with like the most obvious impactful card, but maybe you're right. 
Um, there's a few other cards I'm a little excited about just to kind of give a little taste. Have you read Archfiend's Vessel yet? The one black one drop with lifelink? Oh, that when you cast it from the graveyard or it comes in from the graveyard, you exile it and make a 5-5? Five five? Yeah, I think this is a card that could possibly show up somewhere. Um, it has potential, like you, you say. I'm not saying it's going to be a staple, but I can see it happening. Um, it's Especially if like you start having any of the aggro decks start, or the black creature-based decks, you know, something like Abzan Rallyer start using... Um, was it called the Death Dweller and stuff like that a little bit more? Um, it just seems like an obvious include into, into that kind of deck and shell if that deck makes a comeback. So um, are you trying to see if it works with Call the Death Dweller or whatever? Uh, oh, it certainly does. Yeah. I'm just wondering, you know, I'm wondering where, where else it can be used. I, I look at this card and I imagine, and, uh, I just don't, I'm trying to imagine where it goes, and I'm just not sure. Um, you know, back when Absent Rally had Luris, it's like kind of cool there because it lets you be a little bit of a beatdown. But is it enough? Um, where? How quickly are you are you going to be able to get this five five online? I, I sort of think about Skurzdag High Priest, which saw quite a bit of play in Aristocrat style decks in its day, uh, and could sometimes make a five five on turn three. Right, you would go turn one Doom Traveler, turn two High Priest, turn three some sort of sack outlet like Cartel Aristocrat, sack the Doom Traveler, tap my two creatures and my High Priest, make a five five, have a mana left over for like a fatal or a, a tragic slip on your creature. That was like your nut draw. Um, are you doing anything like that with this card? Like you kind of have to go turn one, play it, somehow get it in the graveyard, then recur it. So like, what turn is this five five coming in on, and how good is it? Um, I, it doesn't seem like it's going to find the right shell. You know, it could down the, down the road, but I don't see it now. Okay. Okay. Um, kind of moving around a little bit. How about some of these reprints that haven't been in Pioneer before that it might be impactful? Uh, let's start with one of the ones that I think might be sneaky impactful in some decks, Containment Priest. Certainly if the, uh, if the Wynota deck starts, (laughs) uh... Or if Absent Rally makes a comeback. Yeah, also you know, there's... stops a Rally. Um, I mean, it stops Luris if people try to play Luris decks. It's very good against Mono Black. Aggro, against right? Collected Company. I wouldn't say very good because they have plenty of removal for it. But yeah. if you just respond to them casting, you know, something from the grave, returning something from the graveyard, and you get that creature, and then force them to use a removal spell, like that's yeah. perfectly fine. And if they don't have the removal when you cast it, it can really shut them down. So. Yeah, it's good against Collected Company and stuff, too. Big yeah, fan. against Spirits, it can stop Collected Company. I'm not sure if Baneslayer Angel is going to really make an impact here. We've had Lyra quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. No, um, that's just not a, not a thing. One that I want to see, and I'm going to kind of watch and, and be excited about if someone does do something, is Azusa Lost But Seeking. I'm not sure if the stuff is there for it, but maybe, like, it's, it could Lotus Breach want this kind of thing in some way? I'm not sure. You know, like, the, like Lotus Field is a card that comes to mind when I look at this, but... You need no because it still costs. It's it doesn't curve well for them. You you need something like the amulet shell. That's the only shell where you've ever seen Azusa do anything. Yeah, that's I, saying, I made this rant on versus live today when everyone's like, "What about why aren't you playing Azusa in your ramp deck?" Because we like we played like an Ugin ramp deck. And I'm like, well, it's not a good card in that deck. And you know that a lot of people only see have only seen Azusa post amulet, and amulet has sort of always existed for their entire time playing Magic, but. I, I cannot recall Azusa Lost But Seeking being in a competitive deck before Amulet existed. 
No, you're, and, you're right. And when Summerbloom was was in, was Azusa was like a one or two of in the deck. Um, because it was just a worse Summerbloom. And, I, and like Summerbloom, I didn't even know Summerbloom was a card until Amulet started becoming a deck. So, uh, you know, that, that, that set of statements should be pretty telling. So we're going to need some setup that's similar to Amulet, and I just don't think one exists. That said, you know how they always put sort of harbingers of what's to come in the core yeah. set? Yeah. Azusa could be one of those, because we're going to Zendikar, so Landfall is coming back. That's you know, a, a good a point. Could they reprint Bounce Lands or, or sort of different Bounce Lands? Yeah, I can see that happening. I can Are see they going like to reprint that. Amulet of Vigor along with them? Probably not. But th this definitely works well with Bounce Lands and any sort of landfall ability. Then we could start seeing something coming together. Um, it, but we'd have to see something like that before I'm in on Azusa. All right. Another one um, that I think could come up. And it's kind of, you talked about ramp decks. And this kind of harpens back to what we talked about earlier in the show when we talked about Ravager Affinity and stuff in standard. This is a card that when it got spoiled in its original standard, everybody looked at it. Uh, this was the first card that I ever did a really big spec on, personally. Like, I went out and got a bunch of copies of this, foils of it, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to think I, of what you're talking about. And I expected it to be really, really, really good. It just was not good in its standard because of what was going on. Solemn Simulacrum. Yeah, it saw play in block in Corota Red, right? That was a block deck. It wasn't even, um, like, a four of in a lot of the decks I played it. Like, I played, like, one or two in the Black Green Death Cloud deck because it was very good in that kind of effect. Yeah. But this does... So, it's interesting to me, right? Like... Does it fit curves well enough with like the green ramp decks? Because the green ramp decks, we've seen their curves lately, and they've been going one to three to five to seven. Yeah, because of Nissa. Instead of um, two to but four. They, they don't go one to three that often. Like they need the Arboreal Grazer, right? Right. Well, that or one of the eight elves. What? I'm talking oh, you're about talking about Pioneer. Pioneer. Yeah, I'm talking about Pioneer. Oh. Well, I mean, there aren't a lot of ramp decks in Pioneer, but. There's, there's been a few, and here's the thing. We're getting multiple cards in this set that do it because there is another reprint in this set. Cultivate. And we've had Nissa's Pilgrimage, and it's just yeah, if you want like, to play a second color... Cultivate, cultivate, like, they already do play a second color, but they're mostly green. They're going to be mostly green anyway. Well, it's like so, this gives you the option to. These are cards sure, that yeah. could make an impact on the format, for sure. Uh, but it'd be very minor. I, I agree, though, that Solemn Simulacrum has always been much more beloved than powerful. Okay, and I, I said as much in verses today. Uh, and I, and I, I'm in that first camp. I love this card. I would love for it to be a format staple. I think if this card was a format staple, we'd be in a good uh, good place. Though maybe that's um, naive because I think the only time it really was a format staple, it was ramping into Primeval Titan. And but that that Primeval Titan deck, I think, was actually kind of fun. Like when you're when you're just killing you, like when you're dead when Titan resolves every time. It's not super fun in like Valakit decks or in Amulet decks, but in this was a time after Valakit had rotated in Standard and they were tutoring for Ink Moth Nexus and Wolf Run, uh, Kessig Wolf Run, and like killing you with the Nexus sometimes. I've done that a few times myself, by the way. Yeah, it was it was super fun. I remember the open where the guy like built the deck and everyone was like, "Oh my god!" And that's when we sort of realized just how busted Primeval Titan was. And it's like, yeah, Primeval Titan's not good. Valakit's rotating and like all the Eldrazi are rotating. That's what people did with Primeval Titan the year before. And this, I think it was the second weekend of opens after the new set came in, probably the third weekend of the set. And this guy just comes in and he's like, yeah, he's just playing the, the Valakit deck, but without Valakit, he's just tutoring up Inkmoth Nexus and Wolf Run and beating people down with it. And I'm like, you know, you didn't always have to pump the, the Nexus, but with the Wolf Run, you could just pump anything and you had creatures lying around. Um, and uh, they eventually, I'm pretty sure, play, yeah, they played Solid Simulacrum. 
again, another card that could be harboring the future too. You know, something like Zendikar coming out when lands matter and landfall matter. This is in your in. I mean, if you remember the last one, there were a lot of pretty powerful six, seven, and eight drops. In yeah, that, that is, and they that were is like multicolored true. and stuff too. So like, I, I like cards like this that can fix your mana for low costs. You know, and fix your color restrictions as well. Because you know when you think about Nissa's Pilgrimage, right? It gets three forests. So like you're pretty incentivized to play twelve forests in your deck or whatever to make sure that you can hit every time, right? And when I think about this, this kind of opens up some of the mid range, you know, multicolor decks. And like maybe you don't need it with how good the mana is in the format, but we'll have to see, right? This is a card. It's also much loved, like you said, beloved more than it probably should be. It's also a big time commander card. So a lot of people yeah, that. which is part of the reason it's beloved. It sees a lot of playing commander. And I am also excited that we get two arts of it in this set, by the way. We get the new art and then another new art. We get the newer art of it from the commander set and then an alternate one. I imagine it's because of, like, you know, various legal reasons and, like, copyright reasons that they don't just always reuse the original art from right. invitational cards. But I find it almost disrespectful that they redo them. I agree. You know, like yeah. a lot of people don't even know this was this was a invitational card. So uh, for what we're talking yeah, about, because yeah, Thorin, yeah. So if you if you got into Magic in the last like ten years, you might even know what this is. There used to be an invitational from Wizards of the Coast. They used to actually run one, and if you won this tournament, you got to make a card in your likeness. You have to help make a card. So you're you're practically on. It's kind of like what they did with um, Javier Dominguez this year. You know, he's it literally is, has his name on. Yeah. Um, I forgot the name of the one drop. But instead, of, like you actually had a hand in designing it too. Yeah. So like cards in the past, you've probably played with some of them and not even realize it. Like Snapcaster Mage, some uh, uh, Ranger of Eos. I'm trying to think of the ones that got played quite a bit. Who was who's Snapcaster Mage? It's um, uh, it's, it's Tiago 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 Chan. Yeah, and then uh, Antoine Morel is Ranger of Eos. Yeah. Uh, there, there's been some misses and there's been some hits. Yeah. So poor Kai. Yeah. Void Mage Prodigy. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I forgot who it was, but whoever was uh, Rakdos Augur Mage. They Terry got to be so. Yeah, Terry So. I played him at the Block Pro Tour, and he was playing Rakdos, and he played Rakdos Augur Mage on me. And I don't know if you remember, the card was not good. Was and, not. Yeah, it was. And, like, he played it, and I was like, I can respect it. I like, just said, I was like, I can respect yeah. this. And he kind of he gave me this sly smile on turn three when he, like, because I think the card was, like, black, black, red, or red, red. It was, like, very hard it to get. either red, red, black, or black, black, red. Yeah, yeah I was, think it was black, black, red. Yeah, I think it was because black, it, black, His red. original submission was black, black. Yeah. Uh, but they made it a gold card to fit with Ravnica, which is when, when the card was going to be released. I believe Raptor's Augur Mage was black, black, red for a 3-2 with first strike. And as a sorcery, you could tap it. And like duress your opponent, some sort I think of. They duress. also got to duress you, though. I think I think it was yeah. symmetrical. Yeah, it was like a mutual duress like effect. Just not very good. And I think his original submission was like black black for a two two that you could pay zero at sorcery speed to do that effect. And so it was just like a walking Liliana. <laughs> yeah, I'm pulling Which it would up be right very now. Very good for aggressive decks. Uh, it's all right. Tap to reveal. It is black black red. Tap to reveal your hand and discard a card of target opponent's choice. Then that player reveals his or her hand and you discard a part of their choice. Plays the only ability time you could play a sorcery. They would have cleaned this language up nowadays. But yeah, I just remember the, him casting it and just giving him the look. You know, like, all right, fair, fair enough. I'll tell you this. If if I got to play in a tournament and a card that's me was legal, you best believe I'm casting that fucking card. That card I'm is wrapping in- it. Woodville slam first pick. Just face up right at the table. Yeah. Like that card, Ross, is in my deck. 
too, too bad it was in the third pack. You're like, open, you just force Rakdos or some Rakdos, you know, color combination that includes Rakdos every time. So that in case you Just open in case, it, yeah. yeah. Well, let's be real. I'd be a blue card. I, let's be real. But, well, they, they change up the cards. Like if the yeah. original submission for Solemn Simulacrum was uh, a Simic card. It was like two blue green. I, th- I think it was just a Wood Elves that cantripped mm-hmm. for two blue green. Uh, and that they made it an artifact to fit with uh, with Mirrodin. Yeah, Mirrodin, yeah, yeah. So, uh, any other cards kind of catching your eye? I know you kind of played a little bit around with See the Truth, and that one looks like you need to go through some hoops. Yeah, um, I did not come away overly impressed, but I, you know, we were playing Standard, not Modern. Definitely a card to look out for, because it does some powerful stuff. That said, you know, Treasure Cruise hasn't really made an impact in Pioneer, so uh, uh, unclear. Um... No, I don't really see a whole lot. Honestly, like, after this last year where every set has been so busted, um, it's kind of surprising right now. I've been somewhat underwhelmed, but I'm, I'm kind of happy about that. Uh, but it's still early. I guess uh, Village Rights is an interesting card. That's the... The one that I like? Yeah, one black instant. It's a additional cost, sack a creature, draw two cards. And, you know, this effect has been around. It's been printed at two mana various times, and it's been, like, a borderline playable and limited. That's usually where it falls. I've actually usually liked, depending on the limited format, and, like, I've always been, like, this is a card I actively know that I can get, like, 13th pick and know that's going to be good in my deck. So, like, and I think this one is pushing into the realm of possibly constructed playable in the right spot yeah. because of it just being one mana. Yeah, this one's going to test how big that difference between two and one mana is. And I think a lot of more experienced players are recognizing that that's a huge difference. And there's also a lot of good sacrifice cards around. You know, the sacrifice decks are staple and standard. Are, are they going to be good enough for Pioneer? Is this card a card that levels them up to being good enough? We've seen Rally decks. Is this Does this card go into them? Is that enough to make up for Luris? Those are all definitely questions that we can ask. I'm I'm kind of interested in playing it alongside um, uh, that. What's the act of treason? Claim the Firstborn. But Claim is just not particularly good in Pioneer because there are decks where it's basically a brick. Um, so that's not really something you can build around. And that's kind of the problem. Like the sacrifice decks in, in standard have always just been sort of good at dealing with creatures. And I'm not sure you can like main deck, uh, you know, you can't main deck priest and claim. And you'd probably go with priest before you went with claim, but maybe you sideboard it because it's so good. If you want to be just like black red, um, you know, you could try to stress the graveyard and play Liliana. There are some things you can do with decks like this. And I'm kind of interested in uh, in exploring them, but they would have to be somewhat disruptive to the combo decks, Inverter and Lotus Breach. And a, div- a divination is a very cheap divination. I, I kind of liken it to Thoughtcast. You know, this one mana draw to if you meet all the synergy requirements. I think that's the kind of card that can be very good because it lets you, you know, just have like, say, Thoughtseize in your main deck, but see your Thoughtseize is a lot more reliably. And that's going to be really important for your game one win percentage in those matchups. Uh, I know we're going to miss a couple things, other cards that I think could possibly show up somewhere, depending on if other things get popular. Sparkhunter Masticore is a card that like jumps out at me as possibly being something like maybe a cyborg card for mono black aggro or something. I like, like I like this card. I like it I'm a not lot. Not sure if it fits in Pioneer or if it fits anywhere really, uh, but I like this card, and it's definitely I, a card I'm keeping my eye on. I definitely like it in the uh, combo decks, like a specifically like Lotus Breach or Team of Reclamation against Teferi. I think this card is very good in those spots. We'll have to see. Um, another reprint that I kind of looked over and didn't mention yet that I think could make some 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 headway somewhere. Ruined Halo. 
I think this is a card that fits very well into the blue-white and Esper decks that we're seeing. The card is very good. Plus, And into white devotion. Into white devotion as well. That's I didn't even think about that. I was thinking more of the interaction of it and Yorian, which I think is really cool. Um, yeah, you get to, like, reset it. Yeah. You know, name name their one drop early, name their, you know, big threat late. Yeah, and, like, the, the, the things about how flexible this card is, you know, names a card that you can name something that's in play or you can name something that's a problem in the future, like... Uh, one of my favorite interactions with this one is Thought Not Seer. If you name Thought Not Seer, they can't exile a card from your hand, plus they can't attack you, so the card just becomes irrelevant. You know, and that's a card that does show up in this format every now and then. Yeah, that card is still legal, you know. Um, so, very interested to see, you know, stuff like that. Uh, Fierce Empath is in here. This is a card that is hasn't been printed in a long time, right? Like, I think this is not even modern legal, right? I think it's uh, Onslaught. Yeah, it was in Scourge. Yeah, Scourge, yeah. It's, it's the Onslaught block, yeah. Um... We should be saying what these cards do. I, I keep forgetting, but... Um, two and a green for a 1-1. One, one. When it enters the battlefield, you search your library for a creature with CMC 6 or greater and put it into your hand. It goes and you gets Primeval Titan, which is, a, which is a big deal. Yes, but finds Primeval Titan. That's a thing. Um, uh, I don't know so if, if they want yeah, more it, copies of it. It isn't... Yeah, exactly. It is an elf, which is like something that could possibly come up if um, elves becomes a thing in this form before. I've actually seen that deck be on the fringe, right? Like elves, black-green elves, and this can go get... Uh, What's the new Crater Hoof? Endraise Forerunners. Yeah, Endraise Forerunners. You know, something along those lines know, to finish the, games those off. Those versions of the deck don't really make enough mana to be doing stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I'm just saying, this is something that could possibly happen. You know, these are cards. Grim Tutor is in this set, a card that's like $170 for some reason, and now it's down well, to like 10. There's like seven starter cards in the entire world, so. Yeah. So this is a card, this is a card people have been asking to be reprinted for quite a while. Uh, the art is amazing. Uh, big fan. I actually, uh, fun fact, I won two Grim Tutors the very first weekend that they were made legal. Okay. For a long time, Portal and Starter cards were not tournament legal. And they were made legal in 2005, the fall, October of 2005. And I used to play Vintage back then, and I was playing in a Vintage tournament. And I was playing the, this was like the, the major Vintage event of the day, the water, they were called Waterbury events, because they were in Waterbury, Connecticut. Um, and... Uh, I guess officially called the Mana Drain Open, but didn't do well in the main event, at, but top four of the side event, they, they always had a second event on Sunday. Uh, and this was, you know, like a 90-person tournament or something. And I ended up, I, I think I got another Grim Tutor elsewhere. I think I only won one in that tournament, but I basically acquired two of them the very first weekend they were legal. And it was like, you know, somewhere between 20 and $40 at that point, but just like steadily rose because, you know, there's no starter cards anywhere. It saw a little bit of play in Legacy Storm before Dark Petition was printed. Um, sometimes was like a fifth tutor. Um, I don't really see it coming together here, but if there's like a combo deck ever that wants it, it could definitely be a part of that. i just just not sure what that deck would be. Yeah, that's, that's the thing, right? I'm looking at it and I'm like, I'm not sure where this fits, yeah. you know, kind of thing. Like, tutors are... are pretty near the top of cards that get dramatically better in older formats relative to their power in newer formats because you have so much more fast mana and degenerate things to do with them and you just don't have that same level of degener degeneracy. So you're not getting a ton of value out of finding like the best card in your deck in a certain si situation. Um, and you're getting much more punished for having to use, use essentially a full turn of mana to... Uh, to find it like they're, they're great late game top decks if the metagame is like really grindy but that's about it so not super high on that one but you know, like kind of keeping my eye on it because if degenerate things do emerge it's the kind of card that can um 
supplement those strategies. Uh, one last card I kind of wanted to mention, and this is one you can make fun of me for this. Because um, this is the kind of card that I like, and I spend way too much time trying to make good, and it never will be probably or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's just a pet card. Uh, Stormwing's Presence, I think is the... the, the Oh, yeah. yeah. This card is three blue-blue for a 3-3 three, three flyer. Um, this spell costs two and a blue less to cast. It'll cost two mana. If you have cast an instant or sorcery this turn, it has prowess, and when it enters the battlefield, it scries you. This, is a, this card is word soup, as we like to call. You know, they just stack more stuff onto it. Um, I, I see this card being something, like, you can probably try to abuse in modern, though a lot of the cards that are really good with it are banned. Yeah, you know, obviously good with Manamorphos and Modern. Gunshot and stuff like that. Um, There's some reason to like it in Pioneer. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting on Bated Breath. It dodges Wild Slash. It dodges Fatal Push. Because it technically has 5 CMC. So your opponent is always using a 2 plus mana removal spell to kill this. You know, even Wizard's Lightning is tough if you just have a spell up. Now, there aren't a lot of good one-mana spells. Yeah, there's opt. <laughs> and you really do need to be casting it on turn three. Um, but, I don't know. You know, there have been some prowess decks around. I know Ryan Overturf has worked on those a lot. I could see this card being in those decks. You know why I, I want this to be good? Why I like this kind of card? It gives me the hope that there might be a tempo deck at some point, a different tempo deck at some point in time in the format. Because look here, I understand Spirits is like the tempo deck, but it's not the kind of one that I want to play. I just want to play Delver of Secrets. I just want to play like that kind of thing going on. You know, I want to play like mono yeah. blue aggro. And that deck doesn't exist in Pioneer. And so this Spirits is isn't even really a tempo deck. Spirits is just an aggro deck. It's an aggro deck. And so like at least as it exists in Pioneer, it's a bit more tempo-y and modern, but, I think. Ross, I want my deck to be like 12 good cards and like 48 shitters, and then I'm just going to find a way to win, all right? That's that's how I like playing Magic. That's how I grew up doing it. It's how I've had my success in my career almost always, is my deck is like a few cards that actually do things. Everything else fuels it, finds it, or does something along with it, and the cards are maybe not great by themselves, but you put them all together, and they become very powerful kind of thing, and that's the kind of stuff I want. I want my deck to be a little underpowered overall, but just very good when you play it well. You know, like, I want to feel like I'm making decisions every turn and I'm not just doing the same curve the whole time. So, um, definitely looking forward to trying to break this one. I expect to lose a lot of tickets and a lot of gems on... Well, I will be right there with you, buddy. <laughs> we'll probably have some ch some chats about this, I'm pretty sure. Uh, just so everybody at home... will probably be on Versus Live on Thursday. Yeah. Okay, nice. Just so everybody at home knows, as soon as this card got previewed, Ross got a text with a picture of it and a list of cards that go well with it. I was like, man, Amorphos, good Very shot. True. I was like... I didn't even check the text. You just knew? Until much later. You didn't t t check the text until what? Much later in that day. Because I got it, like, in the morning. And I had stuff to do. And I was like, ah, I don't care about this. Ross, I understand how the world works when it comes to you, right? Like, I, 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 I did check the text. I just didn't, like, read fully through it. I just saw it was about a new card. When I text you or message you on some kind of messaging service, I don't expect to get responded back soon or ever, at least most of the time. I know that yeah. if it's important, you will... And if it's important, I'm probably going to blow you up on multiple things of, hey, like, I need I need something that from That is true. I will often get a Facebook message and a text if it's something important. Or And I'll call you. That's that's another thing, yeah. too, because I am over 30, so I still call people. But Yeah, Tannen is, like, one of very few people that actually calls me. Yeah, I actually enjoy talking on the phone with people that I like. Like, uh, my, you know, I mentioned him earlier in the show, my best friend. Um, it's been a little less lately, but, like, generally once a week. It, it should be a lot more this time of year, but generally once a week, we just have, like, a 30 to... 
45 to an hour long phone call. Um, during baseball season, we have very long phone calls. And he's a huge baseball fan as well as I am. But uh, I, I, I kind of miss it, man. Like us as a generation and us as like a... like How? I hate talking on the phone. Okay, not just, I don't mean just that, right? Like, we just, just don't talk to each other. Just talking without being able to see the person's body language or anything, or, like, it's, you, like, I hate it. And it all, like, it also just demands your full attention. Whereas texting, you can get everything accomplished in a similar amount of time. True. Without demanding your full attention. So I almost find it selfish when people call me. I'm not, this is not me telling you to stop calling me. This is, this is Ross telling me to stop, telling me to stop calling me. But. It's like I it, like especially for important things because that's a signal that something is important because it, it is a little bit faster, uh, right? Uh, so you you know perfectly fine. And you know if you're calling to actually have like you know a significant conversation, that's also good. So there, there are some reasons to want to do it. Um, but if anybody were to like call me for some like quick check on something that could just have been a text message, I was like, what are you doing? You're just one. It feels like you know when, when I get a call. I feel like it's already something serious. Like, you know, if I get a call from my mom at a weird time when she normally doesn't call me. Who died? I'm like, oh, God, what's going on? Yeah, yeah who died? Yeah. Uh, so I, uh, you know, when somebody is calling you for trivial things, like they are demanding attention of you that you, that they don't deserve attention from you. I don't know if I 100% agree with this, but whatever. Uh, the funny thing is, is like most of the times when I call you, it's I'm yeah. driving and I want to and I want to talk to you and I don't want to text because that's not safe. Well, you shouldn't be on your talking on your phone while driving either. I assume you have like a head. I, uh, I, a I, every time I'm talking to you on the phone, I have headphones in. I'm not looking at my phone. I don't have my phone on my face. I hate having my phone on my face. Um, uh, s- small little side of that. One of the main reasons I hate it, the case that I use for my phone, I use the very tight like I don't use like an otter box or the big bulky things. Mine's like very tight, right? It's like almost the same size as the phone. Um, if you put it close to your face and pull it away at certain angles, it will pull hair out of your face because the hair will get into one of the little cracks or crevices. And like, I can't tell you how many times I've just pulled a hair out of my face and it hurts. But every time that I'm talking to you, I have headphones in. It's that or um, at least like I try to at least once a day if I'm not going to go jog. I try to get a, a, like a full walk around my neighborhood a couple of times, right? Just be outside in the sunlight. And I, and I have stuff I'm like, I need to make phone calls for work. And then I need to make a couple of phone calls for, for you. You've seen the problem with it, though, is usually it's like 95 degrees out. I'm really hot. I'm sweating. It's sunny. It's gross. And I can't remember half the things I called you for. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Uh, my, I'm pretty sure my brain like half melts in the summer and then it like re-solidifies in the fall and I become a functional human being again. So when you're, you're hibernate, like when you're supposed to hibernate, your brain functions better. Yeah, I get it. So mm, Yes, I, I just, I, I do not like the heat. Yeah, I you you and Brennan are going to visit whenever it's better. We, we'll pick a decent time for that. We'll try to make it not too hot, not too cold. We'll try to do the uh, the, the just right time. Now, uh, I think we should move into the mailbag submission questions because we had a few tonight that I wanted to make sure that yeah, we got them. Yeah, we've got several of them. Yeah. Do you want to start with Lee's? Do I want to start with Lee's? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, I think Lee's has got a really cool one. Hopefully, we don't go too long in this. Uh, the question from Lee McLeod is, if the Atlanta Braves, my favorite sports team, and the Utah Jazz, Ross's favorite sport team, had to compete against each other in a third sport, what sport would give each team the best chance to win? Assume that the Jazz and Braves have teams from whatever year you want, not just the current year. Now, Ross and I had like a small discussion about this ahead of time to kind of like hash this out so we didn't have to think about it on whatever. Um, I will say this in generalizations. I think basketball players are probably a little more athletic than baseball players. Just in general. 
You know, you you normally the average like the average basketball player versus the average baseball player. I see them as being a little more the classic athletic look, right? You know, like real cut up and very flexible and stuff like that. And because you have specialists in baseball, right? Like guys that are DHs and don't have to play the field or pitchers who are like, they're, they're really good at throwing a baseball really hard, right? Or making a baseball do what they want. But like, can they dunk a basketball? Pro- probably not. I will say this, out of the two sports, baseball is harder, quote unquote. Hitting a baseball with a bat is like the hardest thing to do in sports or one of the hardest things to do in sports. Um, But I do think that if they just played a like decathlon of sports that the Jazz would come out ahead in general. Um, I did pick pick something specific. If they played golf, I would A, uh, almost always bet on on the baseball team. B, if we were allowed to pick any year, any of the years that Glavin, Maddox, Smoltz were on the Braves, you would stand no chance. Uh, John Smoltz was way better than Scratch, almost played on the senior tour. In fact, I think he might still be considering it. I'm not sure. And uh, did I ever tell you John Smoltz is one of his normal playing partners, his name? It's uh, Tiger Woods. And uh, yeah, never heard of him. And Tiger would only give him like two strokes aside. So John, John can sling the clubs. You, on the other hand, kind of agree with me, but for different sports, right? I mean, I completely agree with everything you said there. And when I thought about this question, I just immediately tried to think of like what other sports did other jazz did jazz players play that I know of. And the first one that comes to mind is Donovan Mitchell, who grew up playing another sport, but it's baseball. And so, you know, the Jazz aren't beating the Braves at baseball. No, that's just not a thing. Just not, not going to happen. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, uh, they could spot up a hundred. Like it literally spot up a hundred runs and beat the shit out of them still. Yeah. The, the other one is uh, Gordon Hayward, former jazz player, grew up playing tennis and was going to, you know, go into tennis until he had a growth spurt. Yeah, because he was really small. I remember hearing that. He was not very yeah. tall. Yeah, yeah. He, he grew like seven inches in his junior year of high school or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, went into basketball, uh, but a very good tennis player. So, like, maybe maybe they'd take you at tennis or something. I don't know. Use Gordon's expertise. And then uh, the other one I, th- I came up with is Joe Ingles' wife. Renee Ingalls is a, a you know, world-class handball player. She actually had to you know, retire from her career when they moved over to the United States. Um, so just on, on that fact alone, that the, you know, they would be the only ones who know what handball is, uh, you know, I'd, I'd probably take the jazz. But I've, I've since come up with another answer, though, Tannen, that I think is really good. I think it's pretty obvious that the Jazz would win very easily in volleyball. Oh, yeah. They just have such an insane height advantage. And if you got to take everybody... Gobert would beat them by himself. (laughs) It would be Rudy Gobert and Mark Eaton. Yeah, okay. Who has the record for blocks per game in a season and was 7'4". Yeah. So just just imagine a front line in volleyball of Mark Eaton and Rudy Gobert. Quick responses to a few of those. If we get to bring in the players like wives or significant others, uh, Dansby Swanson, the shortstop for Atlanta, his wife is on the U.S. national soccer team. So, you know, it's pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. Though just the general athleticism advantage might still True. favor Utah. There. True. Um, one of the other ones, I, I thought that along that line too. One of the other ones, uh, Atlanta used to have a tie to Australian baseball players for a while. They had a scout that would go to Australia and look at the softball leagues down there. And they brought in multiple players. They had a pitcher and a hitter from down there. And uh, they were both big rugby players. And I would definitely take a baseball team to play rugby before a basketball team. I think the basketball team has probably maybe a tiny bit of edge on speed, but I think just the general size and toughness of baseball players would probably be like, I think a little bit of an edge because that game is a little more like football than it is. Yeah, it's you know, definitely a rough game. Say it again? It's definitely a rough game. Yeah. 
I, I, I would never play that game. I There's another obvious one for you. Hmm. I guarantee you the Braves would win in cricket. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, you can't... We gotta just, like... If there's another game that's like basketball, like, you know what I mean? Like another game that's like baseball, like the, whatever. All right. Anyway, we'll go to the next one. Cause we could talk about this one for too long. Uh, this one's from Cody Abzan battle priest. Uh, one of our big time pr- contributors in, in the, uh, the, the Patreon stuff. What has been your favorite deck to play in each format? Also favorite period of time in each format. Uh, do you want me to go first? Sure. Uh, so you, did you need a moment to think? I've got answers for right, most well, go, of them. Go yeah. ahead. Uh, so favorite deck in all of standard was actually, um, and I played it very briefly, was the Simic Turbo Land deck that existed with, uh, Jace the Mind Sculptor and, um, and, I remember uh, this, I remember this. Was it Oracle? What, you know what card I'm thinking of. Oracle of Moldiah. And I played that and Lotus Cobra, and it would just, like, ramp really, really quickly into Avenger of Zendikar. And uh, and had four time warp in it, so oftentimes you would just get to twelve mana and go like Avenger land, you know, get counters on all my plants, time warp, untap, play a land, play a ramp spell. Probably the land was a fetch. All my plants are huge, kill you. So it sort of functioned like a combo deck and a ramp deck. It was super fun to play. Um, but my favorite time in that format was actually um, it was Kamigawa Ravnica standard. You know, there's a dose of nostalgia here that was like you know. Part of the time when I was just coming up as a competitive Magic player, or just starting to, you know, try it out. Uh, but that format was, like, pretty well balanced, I think. I think it would be interesting to go back to it now with, like, you know, how much better we are at Magic than we were collectively uh, 15 years ago. And see if, like, you know, the format is actually that balanced or we just missed something. Uh, but that, that format, I think, was very diverse, very fun. So that's me for Standard. Pioneer? I gotta say... Either I mean, Izzet and Soul was fun to play. I've liked, I like playing that deck, but the Mono Black Aggro deck with Copter was also just loads of fun, and I love me some Smuggler's Copter. Um, modern, gotta go Izzet Phoenix. And I think as far as eras of Izzet Phoenix, I really liked the era right after KCI was banned. Uh, which is probably the, you know, the height of Izzet Phoenix, but, you know, that was, I think, the most fun playing it. Because the deck was, like, finally really well-tuned. And then, um... Uh, Legacy... You know, it's... Uh, the obvious answer for me here is Elves. But I really like playing Storm. So the two are really close for me. Though, I will say that I enjoyed Legacy more when I... As a format, when I was playing Elves than when I was playing Storm. That, t- like, 2014 was a great year for Legacy... Basically, 2012 to 2014. Those three years. Uh, 2012 was before Elves was really a thing, and I played Maverick for the year. I think that format was fun and interesting. But those three years of Legacy were great. Um, so, my turn. Uh, Legacy, Grixis Delver. Pretty obvious. Um, I think the my favorite time of it would be while we were crushing the the team events. Uh, but Deathrite Shaman, like, Deathrite Shaman times before it got banned. And... The mirror, like just getting to play the mirror all the time, just one of my favorite times. Super skill intensive, super matchup dependent. Like you had to understand what was going on, etc. Love that. Um, modern, my answer is gonna be kind of weird and kind of unexpected, but I think, I think my favorite deck in modern, it's like I don't know if I have a favorite one. Like maybe it's Tron, maybe it's Is it Phoenix? Like maybe it's I really enjoyed playing like 
the really crappy Jess guy control decks. Like, I just had fun doing that, right? You know, like, Electrolyze you, Helix you, Snapcaster it back, like, blah, blah, blah. But my favorite time of Modern is also the team events, getting to sit next to you, watching you play Is It Phoenix against everybody. That's, like, the most fun I've had with the format is sitting next to someone who's enjoying it and good at it, and I didn't have to play it. Um, for Pioneer, same answer. Mono Black Aggro with Copter. That deck was a delight. Uh, I still remember the the two or three day span of us, you and me, talking about it a lot and figuring out it was the best deck. You know, yeah. you going to the Invitational, just crushing it. Yeah. And, like, and you know, I remember I was, like, pretty high on Is It in Soul leading up to that time. And I played a league with Mono Black in, like, 3-2. And I was like, ah, I like, on paper, I think this deck looks good. And then I gave it one more try in a session, like, Wednesday. And I was like, I think this one's better. And I wasn't sure going into the tournament. And then I played the tournament. I was like, holy shit, this deck is great. Yeah. I remember us just, like, figuring it out. We're like, this is this is the best deck. I remember telling all my friends, I'm like, it's the best deck. It's the best deck. Um, So that's probably, like, my favorite deck and favorite era because the era is so small. For standard... Um, I've got to say my favorite era also has my favorite deck in it. And that was the, the flash deck for anybody who doesn't, you know, it's like there was blue, white, and there's like blue, white, red. And it was like a Snapcaster mage, restoration angel. Some versions had, uh, Sphinx's revelation. Augur, Augur like the, Zoria's yeah, just charm. the, my card. didn't play verdict. Yeah. My card. This was like, you know, dissipate syncopate, I think. Yeah. Like just a lot of stuff with that. Right. And the cards were not very good, but the deck was very good. It's, it's like what I mentioned earlier. The deck was good with all the cards together. And you had to fight for your wins, right? Like, you had to fight and claw. And, like, that's my favorite way to play Magic. It's also just my favorite standard deck of all time and maybe my favorite deck of all time. I My win rate with it was absurd. I loved it. I loved playing Magic that way where, like, every game was a puzzle that you were trying to figure out because you didn't have, like, a quote-unquote curve. You know, most decks are, like, you want to do this on like one, this one two, this one three, this one four, like et cetera, et cetera. Like that deck was like, you just want your cards to try to match up with what your opponent's doing. You know, like that's it. So it was like, it was like a control deck, but you're like attacking with it. It felt like Delver does in Legacy. So obviously that's why it's probably my favorite. All right. The Cody Hope with another question. Uh, what archetype do you feel is missing just one or two pieces from becoming a real deck? I'm assuming this means Pioneer, since we're a Pioneer cast. And uh, I kind of mentioned it already. I think like the tempo-based deck, something kind of Delver-ish in the format. I'm going to go a little off the wall and say Jeskai Ascendancy. I think that combo is powerful. Uh, it has multiple you know, hexproof mana creatures with Paradise Druid and... Uh, Sylvan Carry added. It already has a really good payoff in, you know, Treasure Cruise. And it has a way to combo all in one turn if the game goes long with uh, Sylvan Awakening. It just needs a little bit more consistency in finding and resolving slash protecting uh, Jeskai Ascendancy. So if it finds ways to do that effectively, um, I think that deck could, could be real. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm gonna go. You've been trying or to maybe make, something that speeds it up too. You've been trying to do but, something with that card for so long over the last couple years, and it's like never really worked out. <laughs> watching you, yeah, watching you fumble through that deck at that open, it just never doing anything was a highlight for me of my, of one of the opens where we did badly. Yeah, that was a uh, that was a rough one. I uh, did not draw very well, and I drew really well when I was testing the deck, and it made me overrated. Yeah, uh, one of our newest patrons uh, actually with a question here. Um, my MTG team, the Fanny Pack, great, great name, by the way, just great name, uh, and myself have recently been trying to broaden our horizons by creating more content as well as a website, uh, packmtg.com, if anybody wants to check it out, um, which I highly recommend you do, uh, you know, let's lend some support to our fellow, uh, magicians. Uh, I was wondering if either of you had advice on creating an audience 
and or on content creation, streaming, articles, podcasts, etc. Thank you. I will tell you the most important thing when it comes to content creation. Consistency. If you are going to do something, you want to try to put it out or do it at the same time every week. Ross talks about this a lot when it comes to a stream. There's no set schedule. He wants to try to do that. I know when it comes to streaming that consistency is one of the most important things. But if you're constantly putting out stuff all the time and it's of remotely decent quality, let's put it that way. Obviously, quality matters if you're just putting out a giant turd every week. Like It's, it's going to be hard to build a following. But consistency is key. It helps you out. It helps your, your followers out knowing what to expect from you. And I think it's very, very, very important. Yeah, uh, 100% agree there. Uh, what I'm going to say is a little bit more philosophical. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people go into content creation and focus too much immediately on trying to do things that they know are popular or they think will be popular. And what you're trying to do is create something that's popular. And I think the best way of going about that and building something that will work long term is do the things that you are really psyched about and really like, because those are the things that you're going to do well. Focus on doing that. And then based on the audience response, you tune according to their tastes. But the, the core of what you do should be from you. And you're going to build an audience that connects with that in large part because you also believe in it as opposed to trying to pander to them. So it really boils down to not pandering to your audience. So instead, do the things that you love, do the things that you like, and make those things as good as they can be. And you will bring in those people that really like that. And you know you might turn off some people initially, and that's fine, because you're trying to build people that are going to be there long-term, build that base, that fan base. And then you can take advice about how to tune and, you know, buff the the rough edges of what you're doing to make it a little bit more generally palatable, but keep the soul of what you're doing intact and deeply connected to the things that you like and who you are. I think it's a really good answer, actually. I was like, kind of, you have this shit itty on your face. You're like, yeah, I'm the best. But uh, <laughs> that was a really good answer, though, Ross. I really liked that. Um, I think that's about it for this week. We start moving into the show close. Uh, Ross, if people wanted to hear some more of your thoughts, See, see you play Magic a little bit more. Where would they go? You can go to many places, Tannen. <laughs> I'm allowed? Is that allowed now? Maybe. I haven't blocked you, right? Yeah, I don't know. Go check. It's unclear. <laughs> First place is my Twitter. I'm at Ross Hunneds. That's R-O-S-S-H-U-N-N-E-D-S. That will be your one-stop shop for, you know, everything I do. Uh, and also a good place to ask me questions about, you know, anything. I do try to get back to people, so appreciate any follows there. Then there is, uh, let's go with my stream. Uh, I know I haven't really, I haven't streamed at all in the last week and a half for the same reasons we didn't do a show last week, so, but that will be coming back, don't worry. I'm not gone forever, um, and, uh, you know, you can find out when it comes back exactly on my Twitter, uh, and like Shannon said, I am... I'm at least thinking about making a schedule. So it'll happen eventually. You just never know when. Uh, I uh, My Twitch account is just Ross underscore Miriam. Uh, so just my name with the underscore in the middle. You can find me there for streaming. Appreciate any and all support there. Follow, subs, anything like that. Then there is my written content on Star City Games this week. It was about See the Truth. 
Uh, so if you are excited about that card, you can read about my thoughts, specifically in the context of Arclight Phoenix and potentially revitalizing it during its last hurrah on Standard and as well in, uh, you know, bringing it to the forefront of Pioneer potentially. Uh, so there is that. My articles go up on Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern on Star City Games. Then there is uh, Versus Live, the show I co-host twice a week with Corey Baumeister on twitch.tv slash starcitygames, same channel where open coverage is, uh, where they are 1 to 4 p.m. Tuesday and Thursdays, Eastern Time again, just playing whatever's relevant. You know, it's preview season, so we'll be playing new decks for the next couple of weeks. Uh, we've been starting doing some user-submitted episodes. There's definitely, or viewer-submitted episodes, and there will definitely be at least one of those coming down the line for new standard. So if you've got cool brews, you're going to want to, uh, you know, tune in, figure out when that's happening for Versus. And that will also happen via my Twitter and Corey's Twitter. So, uh, you know, that's where you do go to get involved and maybe your deck will get played on Versus. But in general, you know, we just have a good time playing whatever formats are relevant and decks that we like or think are fun. Um, and then... Uh, Though, if you can't catch us live, you can catch those on YouTube. Um, historically, Tuesday shows have gone up Friday and Thursday up Monday, but I think they have recently changed that and tried to get them up faster. So they will definitely be up by then, but they might be up sooner, and I think they specifically are trying to get everything up that week. So I think Thursday shows might now be going up Friday, and like Tuesday shows going up Wednesday, basically the next day. Don't quote me on that. I'll make sure I'm right on that next week. Um, but at the very least, Friday and Monday. Tannen, how many places can people find you? I mean, philosophically or literally or spiritually? Uh, <laughs> um, at least find your visage or the remnants of some work that you've performed. You use a lot of big words there. I'm not sure what they mean, but I'm just going to answer this anyway. I, I, I do know what they mean, but anyway. Uh, you can find me on... I don't know if you know what the word big means, but visage is not a particularly big word. For example, it's much smaller than the word particularly. <sighs> All right, I'll use eloquent next time. Use a lot of eloquent words there. I'm not sure I know what they mean. Anyway, shut up, Ross. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm looking yeah. for. <laughs> I love you, buddy. Um, on Twitter, you can find me at uh, the Tannen Grace. I had to like, think about it for a second, which one I'm the Tannen Grace, which one I'm not. On Twitter, I am the Tannen Grace. Uh, tweet a lot of stuff on there. You can, yeah, follow me. Do that stuff. I lost a lot of followers last week, and I wear it with pride. But anyway... Um, you can follow me there. Uh, I do have a Twitch channel. I'm kind of like Ross. I don't really have a schedule. I pop, pop in and out of there. I do some magic on there, but I do some variety on there too. I do poker, uh, other video games like Overwatch and uh, Warzone, uh, Call of Duty Warzone. A lot of stuff. I've been playing way too much of that lately. Anyway, uh, you can find me on there. Uh, it's just Tannen Grace on Twitch. And then you can find me in the, uh, the, the Pioneer Cast stuff, which let's talk about that for a second. It has a Twitter, at Cast Pioneer. Uh, give it a follow. It's where you'll find all the latest breaking news for our podcast and the Pioneer format. Um, on there, you can find a link to our Discord that we've mentioned multiple times. Uh, our Discord is popping, as I like to say. Um, one of the things that I love and hate about the Discord at the same time is our food channel. It's my favorite channel, or one of my favorite channels, but especially during quarantine, God, does it make me just want to get out and go to a restaurant. Yeah. It just makes me feel inadequate sometimes where oh, I'm just like, yeah. everybody makes really, really good food. Here, here's the thing. Not only is our food good and good looking, it's like, you know, you know, in the, the cooking shows where they judge them on plating, their platings are just a fucking 10 out of 10 every time. Yeah. You know, and my line for a successful dish is that my apartment hasn't burned down. Yeah. And I usually, you know, surpass that. So I'm pretty happy. But these people are just like, by the way, I'm a professional chef in my spare time somehow. 
It's funny that you uh, it's funny that you mentioned that. I actually set off my smoke alarm the other day in my house, the fire alarm. It's funny, everyone in the house has a different reaction, right? Um, d depending. So I set the fire alarm off. Uh, so you're you're the calm like okay I've got to handle this. Yeah, I I, I got. Benny goes absolutely nuts. Yes, and your wife doesn't notice. My wife exactly, literally to the point. My wife especially doesn't ever hearing aids on. It's just like what the fuck's going on? I'm like oh the alarm's going off because she can't hear that frequency at all. And uh, I looked up why dogs don't like it so much and why it scares them. Apparently it's just obscenely loud for them because it's obscenely loud anyway, but it's even worse for them. So my dog fucking hates it and. There's somebody that my wife, uh, she does like uh, video calls with who needs to replace the battery on their damn fire alarm. And it <laughs> comes across on the on the computer and my dog will literally like come in the room with her tail between her legs. And I'll, I'll text her and be like, hey, turn your turn your sound off. You're, you're pissing Benny off uh, kind of thing. So uh, anyway, back to that. You're making so, Benny sad and that is not okay. You cannot make the dog sad. That is definitely not okay. Um, so yeah, you can find the link on Twitter to our Discord and to our Patreon, which we mentioned uh, some cool things going on in the Discord for our patrons. Uh, you have a patron-only channel. Uh, you can ask questions that get read on the show, and we say your name. And we have the new cool thing in there, the Patreon bonus episode. That has not happened yet. We were kind of going to do it, you know, pretty quickly in the last week or two, and then the world then, exploded again. Yeah. So um, I do think we're going to get this done as soon as possible, whenever Ross and I can have an, an extra two or three hours, because the show generally takes about two or three hours to do for us uh brent has another few hours we've got to make sure he has time we want to make sure that we get the best product out to you but there is a section in there that is uh locked only for for patrons and you can ask us anything you want the show we, we won't even talk about magic if you don't want us to if you like the parts where we don't talk about magic or you want us to specifically talk about your deck you're like hey i like this deck i'd really like you guys to go over it for five or ten minutes and really talk about what's going on here uh what are your opinions you know blah 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 have whatever you want um and that's a big thing that we're looking to try to unveil un unravel and like roll out for our, our patrons here in the future so make sure you check that out that's at uh, patreon.com slash pioneercast we really appreciate everyone that supports us monetarily but we also appreciate everyone that supports us in any other way if you stuck around with the show after last week because i know we lost a few people um again we really support you we wear it with pride and uh we love every one of you out there black lives matter we'll see you next week <laughs>